Good morning, everybody. It's um, 10 o'clock and time for me um, and Miss Worthington to open today's hearing sessions. For those of you who have not already been, and I think a lot of you have already been to at least one session this week, maybe two. My name is Louise Crosby and sat next to me is Elaine Worthington. With the inspectors appointed by the Secretary of State under Section 20 of the Planning and Compulsory Purchase Act 2004 to carry out the independent examination of the Uttlesford Local Plan. We shall refer to the document as the plan during the hearing sessions. What Louise here, um, Louise Sinjin Howe, sat at the, in the corner. Um, probably most of you have met her this morning as you've come in. And she's your first point of contact for any administrative matters today or in between sessions. Just a few housekeeping points for those of you who have not already found them. The toilets are out on the corridor that runs parallel to the room. There are also some downstairs. Can everyone hear at the back and in the balcony? Yeah, great. We have got a microphone system. It's particularly important you use it because there's a lot of people here and it's, the, the, um, it's been recorded so that people at home, if they want to, can listen to it. So if you don't speak into the microphone, I don't think they can hear. So um, that's quite important too. If you've got mobile phones, can you turn them off or put them onto silent, please? Is the press here today? No? Okay. There's tea and coffee facilities um, outside the room, should you need them in the breaks. Um, I think, can I say, yesterday we were here a long day, so Louise was here at 7 o'clock yesterday and we finished about 6 o'clock, and at the end she had to clear the room of cups and wrappers and all sorts of debris. So if you can take your own rubbish away and put your cups back on the table, that would be really helpful, please. We was um, towards the end of yesterday after we talked about the gypsy and travel. We had a quick discussion with the council um, about timetabling for the next, so the week after next, um, and given the amount of participants that are likely to be taking part in those sessions, we think it's probably wise to start at half past nine. So that's going to go on to the website. But I thought, seeing as we've got so many people in the room today, it's probably wise to to let everybody know so that you can put that in your diaries. Um, hopefully that will prevent too long a days for everybody. I'm sure most people would rather start at half past nine than be still here at six o'clock or later. And we might on those days for shorten the lunch breaks a little bit, just depending on how, uh, how we get on. As I say, it's always quite difficult to predict how long sessions are going to take when we're doing the timetabling, so um, hopefully that will be one way of alleviating that pressure a little bit. We've also got the Friday as a reserve morning um, in the, it's already in the programme. Um, again, we're not sure whether we'll need that yet. You never can tell really until we get into that week and, and see what happens. But it's worth maybe keeping that free in your diary if you think that you might be involved in a session where you might want to come back um, if it overruns. Okay, so for those of you not been before as well, our um, role in conducting the examination is to determine whether the submitted plan satisfies le relevant legal and procedural requirements under the 2004 Act as amended and the 2011 Localism Act and whether the Council has complied with the duty to cooperate and whether it is sound. So the starting point of the examination is that the Council has submitted what it considers to be a sound plan. If we conclude that the plan is not sound, we need to consider whether any modifications could make it so. So 
these stage one hearings will run until Thursday the 19th of July, possibly the 20th, depending on whether we have any overrun. They're open to the public to observe, but only participants around the table will be able to speak. Also, the hearing sessions are not an opportunity for participants to introduce points that were not included in the responses to the Council's consultation. As I mentioned earlier in the week, there's a lot of people around the table. I can't remember exactly what everybody said, so I'll have to trust you to only raise points that were um, raised in your Regulation 19 uh, statement. And we also won't be hearing evidence about emission sites. Should we find that the Council needs to allocate more sites, then that will be a, um, a job for the Council to do to identify and test those sites. Following the close of the final hearing session, so those not currently timetabled at the moment, they'll, uh, so there will be more in the future to consider things like development management policy, site allocations, um, and potentially anything that we've discussed in, in these two weeks is stage one that we need to bring back and potentially look at again. Um, following all that, we'll prepare our report to the Council. Today there will be a mid-morning and mid-afternoon break as well as a lunch break. Depending on how we get on today, there's not many questions on the agenda, but lots of people here and probably lots of discussion to take place. So if it's looking fairly tight, then we might have a slightly shorter lunch break, but we'll just see how we get on. I'm conscious that people need to get out and get food and things. We stress that all participants should be seated and ready to begin the sessions at the allocated time and return promptly from breaks. The hearing sessions are relaxed and informal discussions focusing on the particular matter being considered. So there's an agenda for today based on our original matters and issues paper. The, there are the same questions on the agenda today as there were on the matters and issues um, paper. Um, so we'll be asking a series of questions and asking the council and others to contribute as appropriate. We'll make sure that everybody is given an adequate opportunity to speak if they wish to do so. If you want to speak, can you put your name plate on end and I'll try and bring you in. Those towards the back, you might need to wave your arms about a little bit because I can't see everybody's um, name plates from where we're sat because of the amount of people here. We're aware that some people might not be used to taking part in events like this, um, but we'll try to ensure that everybody's able to make the case and, and able to contribute. Again, we've got lots of people around the table today. You might find that, well, it's probably likely that lots of people are saying the same thing. So obviously we've got a day to, to deal with all of this and probably about 40 people here today, maybe more. Um, if you think that you know, your point's been covered, you don't need to say it or you can just say, I agree with Mr or Mrs so-and-so. Um, so, you know, by 10 people making the same point doesn't give it any more weight, particularly we, we make a note as we go along of, of people's comments and concerns. Um, and those of the council. Okay, I think that's is that good? Yep. So the agenda um, for matter four is, is principally dealing with policies SP2 and SP3, so the spatial strategy. As that happens with these sorts of um, local plan hearings, some of, the deep, some of the matter has been covered already in things like when we have the discussion about the sustainability appraisal. Um, it's, and, and even yesterday, there's, you know, things overlap and, and we've sort of strayed into the spatial strategy. But this is the sort of time to deal with this particular item. And equally, we don't really want to go back over the essay and things. That was day one, so try to avoid straying into... Um, into that territory. 
On the agenda, it says detailed issues concerning the individual, individual proposed site allocations will be dealt with at stage two hearings. I suppose that's not strictly true in this particular examination. Some discussion will take place the week after next on those garden communities, but importantly, not, it's not for today, isn't the individual um, discussion on particular site allocations as such. There are some focus changes, um, so alterations to um, policy SP3, which I'm sure you're all aware of. Those have been published and people have been able to comment on those. So I probably don't need to go into detail about those. Um, do the council want to make any sort of opening comments this morning? Or? Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, I thought it'd be helpful to... Um, just make some opening comments on how the council's developed the strategy. Yes, yeah, sort of set the scene. I think yeah. that might be useful, yes. Um, so in these comments, I'm going to be referring to the Uttersford Local Plan Spatial Strategy, open brackets, including garden communities background paper, uh, reference 1400.1. Uh, paragraph 3.3, starting on page 6 of that document, sets out the process the council has been through. I'm not going to read through the whole uh, paragraph as it goes over two pages, um, other than to say that the council has um, gone out to consultation on issues and options, uh, local plan back in 2015. Um, this was informed by extensive work on developing areas of search, um, a call for sites exercise, um, assessment of those sites um, before developing uh, an extensive list, extensive amount of evidence base and publishing the Regulation 18 local plan in 2017. Uh, and you can find the list of evidence base produced on paragraph 4.48 of the same document, that's page 27. Again, not going to read them all out. Um, and, and then uh, Regulation 19 Local Plan Evidence Space can be found at paragraph 4.78, which is page 44 of the document. Um, in developing the strategy, the, the Council has, um, conduct, as I alluded to, conducted an extensive search for sites across the district um, and, and the constraints... In, in constraints of the district in terms of access to the uh, strategic road network, um, the considerable number of developments around existing villages already uh, completed or committed, uh, resulting in um, there being fewer suitable sites to, uh, to identify, has, has meant that the, um, the, the strategy has um, focused on development at three new garden communities, uh, Eastern Park, Western Braintree and North Uttlesford, and uh, the, also the market towns of Seffron Walden and uh, Great Dunmo. Uh, within the rural area, the uh, development is focused at key villages. Uh, I, I think that's probably enough for starting. Yeah, I think it's helpful just to sort of set the scene, isn't it? Because it is a sort of day all of, about that. Kind of the there will be discussion, I suspect, about the background and how you've got to where you are. Um, 
Do you think it's worth me pulling that document up? Are you going to refer to it quite a bit? Yes, right. I'll just get it out of the, uh, the box for anybody that's not got it. Can you just repeat the name of it in case some people can find it? It's the, Uttles the Uttlesford Local Plan Spatial Strategy Background Paper, uh, document reference 1400.1. them some voluminous appendices as well I'm not sure you, yes I'm not sure you'll need the appendices but it's just to note that there are some five different appendices with lots of uh, colored um, uh, working through of individual sites and so on thank you so the first question on the agenda, and I think we'll probably find, as we have done with other sessions, sometimes by the time we get to the end of list of questions, we might have covered the matters that are in the latter questions, and that's the nature of these hearings. Sometimes they do stray off a little bit. But um, so the first question is, what is the basis for the overall spatial strategy of broad distribution of growth set out in policy SP2? What options were considered, and why was this chosen? So I think the council sort of covered that broadly. Um, in, uh, in opening and it is set out in various documents um, including the council's um, written statement as well um, clearly sets out that background um, information so we'll open it up to the, to the floor in terms of who wants to speak and normally everybody's quite shy at first and then once it gets going all the, all the um, tickets go up Mr Black I think Uh, thank you. Um, um, I'll kick off today. Um, just from our point of view, and just trying to answer this question, but my, my answer does stray into other parts of this, but I'll, I'll try and keep it fairly focused. In terms of the overall spatial strategy, uh, taking on from what the Council said, it is also kind of helpfully highlighted in terms of the approach that they were taking within the local plan from paragraphs 3.7 through to 3.9 and, and sets out that process that they took, um, which is clear. At 3.10, uh, it then says, consequently, this local plan proposes a hybrid strategy with significant growth in new settlements but some additional growth in existing communities as well. And it's just that concept of a hybrid strategy that I just wanted to, to question. And uh, I think where I'm looking at then more is how that comes through into policy SP3. I know this is for a later question, but just on, on that overall strategy, if you go to SP3 and uh, it sets out there the, the distribution of housing and there's a table at the bottom of SP3 and that <clears throat> excuse me that sets out where uh, the dwellings are coming from uh, between 2017 and 2033 uh, and gives that distribution you can salami slice that uh, table into the key kind of settlements and the key villages and if I can just take you through that, if you would allow me. Um, if you take uh, Saffron Warden and, and Great Dunmo, those are the two market towns. And if you look at the dwellings that are coming through, 315 and 767, that gives you a total of 1,082. 
of the 6380. That's 17% of that total amount. If you then go down to the next stage from Elsenham through to Thaxted, all those are key villages. And those dwellings, if you add them all up from the 170 right the way down to the second 20, that is 344 dwellings. And that's 5%. You then go down to the type A and type B villages, and, and that's 134. That is 2%. And what you then have at the bottom of that table is the garden communities, and between those, that is 4,820. That is 76%. So just going back to what the council is saying in terms of a hybrid approach, that hybrid approach means that over three quarters of the dwellings are coming through from garden communities. It's interesting as well, just in context, if you uh, take the windfall allowance, and we did hear some evidence on that yesterday that there's a, there's a slight um, erosion of that, but at 70 a year, that's 1,120. So that's more than the market towns are producing. So my question is, in terms of the council suggesting they're taking a hybrid approach, that is all well and good. But when you look at the scale and distribution of housing as set out in SP3, I would question whether that is actually a hybrid approach. And I think we'll come back to that later. Thank you. Yes, that's just reminded me. It might be worth mentioning for people that weren't here yesterday about the council's ch um, change of approach to windfalls, actually, because that sort of is, is kind of part of today's is relevant to today, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes. Thank you. Um, so yesterday, the council. Um, announced that there was a slight double counting in the windfall allowance in the first uh, in terms of counting sites of six dwellings or more um, which have planning permission um, the result of uh, removing this double counting is to take 66 dwellings uh, from the uh, from the housing trajectory and this has an implication for the five-year land supply that the council is able to demonstrate, and instead of 5.1 years, it is 5.03 years. Do you want me to come back Thank on, you. on Mr Black's point as well? Uh, yeah, it might be useful, and then we'll sort of go around the room. There's not many people have got their tickets up at the moment, but um, yes, if you... Um, so, in, in coming back to Mr Black's point... I'd like to refer you to table one of the council's statement, which is in response to question two, in which we set out the, the percentage, um, percentage of, e of each type of the development type uh, across the plan period. So garden communities, market towns, key villages, A and B villages, and windfall again. Uh, and you can see from that table that garden communities uh, represents just over 30% of the development in the plan period. Market towns is again just over 30%, although slightly lower than uh, provision at garden communities. 
so overall that's just over 60% at the areas where the, gov where the council says that um, we are focusing development. There's just under 20% in, in the key villages where we say we're focusing development in the rural area, 6% uh, in type A and B villages and just over 10% in the windfall allowance. Just over 10% now, because that figure needs adjusting, that, that, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, so that would be 66 lower than, uh, than, so, than the table says. So and it would be 601, yeah. and then around 10%, yeah. you said. Okay, so where do you think the difference in calculation comes from between the two... The, the difference in calculation is the, the table uh, Mr Black is referring to in SP3 is looking at uh, new allocations. Ah, um, uh, yes. The, the table one in, in the council statement there is, is looking at the whole plan period. Yeah. Uh, we, we think it's right to, to recognise the development that is going on in the whole plan period. Uh, some settlements such as, as Great Dunmo are, are contributing significantly um, in the plan period, over 3,000 dwellings in Great Dunmo. So it's things like commitments as well yeah. as factoring in here. Yeah. Thank you. Mr Bampton? Um, yeah, I'd like to focus primarily on the lack of smaller sites uh, and in the inclusion and the reasoning for this. Um, I'd start off by drawing attention to paragraph 1.1 of the council's hearing statement where they respond on this. And this is an extract from the plan itself. They say about 70% of the district's population live rurally outside of the key areas, uh, key, outside the market towns and so in the key, uh, key villages and the type A and B villages. Now, they've only been allocated, according to the table in the same document, around 18, 24.85% uh, of the houses. Uh, the other 65% uh, has been allocated to garden communities and the main towns. Now, I'd say that's completely disproportionate to the demo demographic of the, of the settlement, where people want to live, what they want to live in. Um, it doesn't appreciate the paragraphs in the MPPF about supporting and maintaining rural communities. A lot of the type A villages particularly are struggling to support the services that already exist there, the pubs, uh, schools, jobs, etc. Um, so, and this strategy, as it currently stands, will continue to kill that. You know, um, lots of villages, the village I grew up in, for example, no longer has a cricket club. And if it had a few more houses, there would be a benefit from this. And if you talk about the harms to the landscape and listed buildings that is also referred to, these, this is probably tenfold of the garden and communities that you focused on, all of which there are a number of people here objecting on heritage and landscape grounds. Whereas if you built 10, 20, 30 house developments through the villages, the impact on heritage and landscape will be minimal. You'll get a higher quality of houses that are delivered quickly and, and you'll end up with a choice of homes that people want and support the local economies the way that the MPPF envisages. Um, that's my main point. Thank you. Mr Bampton, so those villages you're talking about, are they within the Green Belt or are they outside of the Green Belt? So the only village uh, that I would think of that is being stifled that is in the Green Belt is Hatfield Heath. Which that's is, the only one that's in the Green Belt? Yes, yeah. um, where they've allocated no houses. Um, 
I would say, actually, I think there was a chap on the first day that made this point very there well. There was Mr. Worrell. Yes. Yeah, um, and I'd agree with him. You know, we, we have sites that we're promoting in Hatfield Heath, which they don't contribute to the Green Belt whatsoever. Um, the settlement boundary of Hatfield Heath particularly isn't drawn in line with where the buildings are in Hatfield Heath, and there are pockets of land that um, relate well to the village. Um, so I do think a release of that kind of Green Belt, and I would suggest a Green Belt review should be encouraged because the one the council rely on is very broad brush. So the Hatfield Heath one actually covers a, a swathe that I think goes all the way to Bishop Storff and up to Stansted Airport, um, and most of which does contribute to the Green Belt. But it doesn't mean that the pockets that are in Hatfield Heath do. Um, again, I'd say the one in Stansted has similar issues. Uh, Stansted West, for example, doesn't contribute to the Green Belt, um, but it's in the same swathe as Sta the area south of Stansted between Bishop Stortford, which does contribute to the Green Belt. Um, but no, the villages I'm primarily referring to are well connected to the services of Bishop Stortford and Cambridge. Um, they, you know, the places like Clavering, Manydon, uh, even the smaller hamlets of Langley Upper Green, Dublin No End, you know, they're, all, they're all places that would benefit from houses and there doesn't seem to be any consideration of them. Um, we'll come I'm, back to that as well under the, yeah. the question about village envelopes. And yeah, that no, I, 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 yeah, I do yeah. intend to speak on that, but uh, those, that would be my main point on that. Thank you. Thank you, that's helpful. Do you want to come back on that at all, Mr Miles? Um, only to say that the, the council strategy does, as it says in uh, uh, SP2, uh, focus growth on the, um, on the garden communities <coughs> excuse me, uh, and uh, market towns. Uh, and then in the rural area on, on the key villages, this is the policy choice. We are trying to ensure that development is in sustainable locations um, with good access to services and facilities. Many of the villages um, listed have, have very limited um, services and facilities and the council doesn't think they are a sustainable uh, location for significant new development. Thank you. I sort of do like yesterday, we'll sort of try and go around. Mr Gardner. Sorry, is that okay? Yes. Fine. I wasn't going to say anything at this stage, but we, if we're on to numbers in villages, um, I'm here to represent a small village, Henham. Um, the numbers are misleading. It, the, the, the policy has got 134, the, the statement's got 147, but, you know, that's, that's minor. There's 42 A and B villages, so that's a very small number each. And I know there's windfalls as well, but again, that's a fairly small number. I can report that Henham has, has accommodated 70 new dwellings since the beginning, 7-7-0, since the beginning of the plan period for various reasons that you can probably work out. But these small numbers, therefore, are somewhat misleading. If it's going to carry on at that pace, it'll be a wholly different situation. And I, there are points I want to make on policy SP2, which I had reserved for the next question. But I'm happy to make them now? Yes. Okay. Because we've got so many people in yeah. well, okay, the microphone, just... Um... If, we look at, if you look at... You probably need to take out the wording of policy SP2 to understand this point, which is this, that, you know, here, we're here today for a spatial strategy, high-level policy SP2 is clearly intended to be high level which yes. it is until you get to three and then we've got a you know 
about a third of the policy dedicated to type A and B villages, which firstly seems disproportionate and not, it's not really part of a spatial strategy to get down to this level of detail. But if you look at the wording ABC, there's lots of get-out clauses there to explain why places like Henham get a huge amount of unplanned housing. And if I can just run through those very briefly to really question what they mean. And I think the wording in A is enhancing and maintaining, not enhancing the maintaining, but by the by. The distinctive character and vitality of local rural communities. Well, that's, that's extremely woolly, if you don't mind me saying. It certainly wouldn't appear in any development management policy that I know of, which is probably where it should be in any event, but I'm not advocating that. It's extremely woolly. And what does vitality of local rural communities mean? I've had cases where people say we want to build a house and four people are living in it and they'll shop in the village shop. Well, you know, that's, that's ridiculous, frankly. So I question that. The second one, shortening journeys and access to jobs and services, what does that mean? I mean, typically villages are in fairly remote locations, so driving long distances to get to work doesn't seem to justify development in the village. And thirdly, strengthening rural enterprise and linkages and hinterlands, what does that mean? I mean, clearly key villages may do that, but A and B villages don't. So I've put this in my statement, but I'm saying it now because it's gone a bit quiet and, you know, we, we need to move on. I don't think those three points have got any place in this policy whatsoever. If you want to say anything about type A and B villages, it stops after the word limited. New developments in type A and B will be limited. That's a, that's a spatial policy, if you like, but the rest of it is woolly and difficult to understand detail. The other wording should potentially go into a development management policy well, that, that... Well, no, 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 sorry. I don't, because it would still be woolly, wouldn't it, wherever it appears in the plan. But what I'm saying is it's got, A, no place in this policy, and secondly, it explains why, probably, because these sorts of words have been banded about over time before we've had a proper plan, explain why Henham has got 70 extra dwellings in it in the plan period when the average, you know, 42 into 13, whatever it is, is about three or four. And if, if, if this wording continues, what I'm, the real point I'm making is, that pattern will continue, which I'm sure is not the intention of the plan. This is all in my statement. You, you need to make copious notes. Point at the moment, Mr. Miles, about the policy wording and... Where, where it should go, there's always a bit of a kind of a question towards the end of the agenda, isn't it, about what should sit where? But... Um, I, I mean, we accept the fact that there is more text under um, Criterion 3 than the, than the first two. Um, I wouldn't use the, the phrase woolly, but it, it, the, the, the sub-criteria A, B and C are meant to be high-level um, sub-criteria, uh, as part of a strategic policy. The reason um, Criteria 3 goes into more detail than 1 or 2 is, is it is um, 
it is being more restrictive. So one is saying where the development should go across the district. Two is saying within the rural area where the development should go. Um, three is, is being a little more restrictive in saying where it shouldn't, the fact that it shouldn't go in the rural area. And those three um, sub-criteria are meant to indicate um, where in the rural area where generally the development shouldn't go, it may be appropriate. I accept the fact that you, um, in, in detailed development management considerations, that they're, they're unlikely to be terribly helpful in as they are worded. Thank you. But sorry, uh, yeah, I was just going to. Sorry, but just to emphasise that that's not their purpose. They are part of a, a strategic um, policy, indicating that the spatial strategy that the, the council is um, uh, implementing. And there will be other policies in the plan yeah. that would be more um, refined, if you like, to measure things against. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, I would, um, on behalf of my clients, support what has been said previously about the disproportionately small allocation of uh, sites um, or housing, housing allocations in the uh, key villages and type A and B villages. Um, this seems to stem from paragraph 3.10 of the plan, which is, I think it's the second second sentence it says this balanced proposal is considered to realise the infrastructure benefits of concentrated development as well as limiting the impact on existing communities now that seems that that phrase limiting the impact on existing communities is one which um, positively discriminates against um, the possibility of bringing forward small sites in the villages that are acceptable in all other respects other than their position outside of the settlement boundary. Um, and my clients are the, are the, um, the opinion that there are very, very strong benefits in terms of enhancing the vitality of existing communities in accordance with the MPPF and that the level of change which might occur in these villages can be managed um, to a degree where there will be change, and not everybody's going to find that acceptable, but that change can be limited to those parts of the village, the sites in the village that are suitable um, and accessible, um, and this can be done in a way w which um, provides a significantly more... Um, significantly higher level of housing than uh, is currently suggested in policy SP3. Thank you. I wonder if it might be worth Mr Miles um, talking a little bit as much as to explain maybe uh, around this point about the um, neighbourhood plan 
um, you know, in terms of are there any settlements with neighbourhood plans where developments allocated in some of these smaller areas and the um, the purpose of them in that in that kind of role? Uh, so there are two made neighbourhood plans in the district. One for Great Dunmo made in December 2016, I think, um, and one for Thaxted Village made in uh, January of this year. Um, both of these neighbourhood plans allocate um, development. Thaxted, the mo most recent one, allocating a number of small, uh, relatively small sites to help meet the village's needs. Um, other neighbourhood plan steering groups are working on uh, neighbourhood plans as we speak. Um, Felsted neighbourhood plan is currently out to Regulation 16 consultation and again allocates sites. Um, Newport, Quendon and Rickling are... Sorry, I've put you on the spot a bit. Don't yeah. <laughs> but it was just to kind of give yeah. a flavour of the, yeah. that there is that opportunity as well in some there of is. the smaller areas in the two... Uh, there is. There's the opportunity for local communities to develop neighbourhood plans to, to allocate small sites to meet their needs. Some neighbourhood plan groups and villages and neighbourhood plan groups are taking up that opportunity. Um, the plan, uh, I can't remember the exact paragraphs, but I can find them, um, positively supports neighbourhood plan groups doing this exercise. Yes, so obviously they need to be in broad consistency with, yep, the, yes. with the local plan, but there is that opportunity in some of those smaller areas to do that. Yeah. Thank you, that's useful just to know what, what the situation is here and what, you know, how many of those are being done. It varies a lot across the country from place to place, how, what the uptake is on, uh, on those. I can provide a reference uh, as well. So the, the text of the neighbourhood plans and the local plan is starting at paragraph 3.108. Thank you. Mr Shrimplin. Morning, thank you. Um, our uh, concern, and it's um, linked to the questions you've asked in matter seven, as to the evidence base uh, that underpins the strategy and obviously also underpins the garden communities. Um, and our concern is that the, uh, it's not clear uh, in arriving at the strategy that the council have, through their evidence base, considered alternative options. So, for example, uh, in terms of landscaping, there is the Braintree, Brentwood, Chelmsford, Malden, Uttlesford Landscape Character Assessment from 2006. Uh, there's then a very brief landscape topic paper from uh, May 2017 that looks at six different sites and then immediately thereafter in June 2017 a landscape and visual appraisal which looks at the three garden communities so in other words the evidence uh, upon which this strategy is based and in particular the garden communities are based is uh, coming very late on in the process effectively after the strategy has already been decided upon so a strategy has been decided upon to focus development in garden communities and the evidence base is then effectively being retrofitted to that. Uh, so, again, for example, there is a document titled The Brief Heritage Impact Assessment from May 2017 that only looks at the three garden communities and a more detailed heritage impact assessment from January 2019. But there is nothing from earlier on in the plan process that could have influenced the strategy. It is all coming after the strategic decisions had been made. 
you want to comment on that, Mr. Mayor? Uh, just a couple of points to make. Um, the strategic land availability assessment in looking at uh, all the sites uh, that we have assessed, there's, there's two, two assessments, one back in 2016, I think, and then an update in 2018 in which um, it kind of captures all the additional sites as well. But the 2016 assessment um, did look at the landscape impacts of sites proposed. That, that was used to inform the Regulation 18 local plan. Um, other point to make is on the brief heritage impact assessments. There is uh, one document in the library which looks at the three um, the three proposed garden communities. Um, Mr. Shrimplin, Mr. Shrimplin is right there. That's document 1003.1. However, there are three other documents um, which uh, look at which conduct brief heritage impact assessments on uh, Chelmermead, Takeley, and land northeast of Elsenham. Those are document references 1003.2, 0.3, and 0.4. These documents, uh, were, uh, this work was undertaken at the same time as the brief heritage impact assessment for the three proposed garden communities prior to the Regulation 18 local plan, and were, they were able to inform the strategy choices there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mum, I have a question. The, um, so my point really relates... Yeah. My, uh, my point really is in relation to your question one and two, because I think they, they, they um, intertwine effectively. Um, Law Holmes would question why um, Stansted Mount Fitchett has been um, treated the way it has in the hierarchy because if you look at the um, census um, population figures in 2011, the two market towns of Saffron Walden, uh, Saffron Walden had a, a population of 15,210. Great Dunmo had a population at that time of 7,749. Sorry, I missed the last figure. Seven seven four nine. Yeah. Stansted Mount Fitchett, which is the third largest settlement in the district, had, had a population in 2011 of 6,669. And then there's a big gap then between the, um, the next um, uh, largest size uh, settlement, which is Takeley, with about 3,387, etc. And... Yet Stansted Mount Fitchett has got a railway station, it's got all main facilities, it's got in many respects more facilities than Great Dunmo had in 2011, um, and it's treated as a key village. Um, and it's curious as to why the council ruled that settlement out in their, um, in their strategy. I do accept that um, part of the um, area is allocated as, as Green Belt, although Green Belt but um, there's also a large part of the um, northern parts and the um, eastern part which are not green belt. So I would really question why uh, Stansted Mount Fitcher doesn't feature more prominently in the plan, Mark. Thank you. I understand this um, hierarchy was set at the previous local plan, which um, 
I'm not sure if it was withdrawn or what happened, but yeah, that was agreed then and the inspector found that it was generally sound and presumably it's been taken forward on that basis and there is some work to underpin it somewhere in the archives yes. of... Uh, appended to the statement at uh, Appendix 2, actually. Um, but yes, it, it, uh, it, it follows on from recommendations from the um, uh, inspector looking at the withdrawn local plan. I think we... Yes, that's what I'm looking for. Yes. I presume there's a doc... Uh, paragraph 3.24 of, um, of Appendix 2 to our statement includes uh, some quotes from the inspector's report. Yes, I presume there's a, this table is part of a wider look at you know, how, yeah. where the lines were drawn effectively and yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And, and you can see from that, I mean, that looks at it from households rather than a uh, population perspective, but you can see that Stansted, Mount Fitchett has uh, 2,554 households compared with Great Dunmo's 3,737. Yes, and I'd also direct you to paragraph 3.26 uh, of Appendix 2, of the inspector's uh, of the extract from the inspector's statement which says concerning statins of Mount Fitchett this clearly supplies significantly fewer local services than Saffron Walden and Great Dunmo but more than most of the other key villages however in view of the fairly limited nature of its service role and its proximity to the much larger town of Bishop Stortford there is no particular case for amending its place within table 2 and presumably in the last five years, that there's, nothing, there's been no significant change in any of those settlements in terms of major infrastructure? Or I mean, there's been fairly significant housing uh, growth in, in both Great Dunmo and, and Stansted, Mount Fitchett, but in terms of new Services? Yeah, yeah. Um, not particularly, not I don't think, any. no. no. Um, do you want to come back on that, or do you add anything to that, or...? I've got nothing to add to that, but it, it, I think it does seem curious that um, we're relying upon the previous inspector when really the, um, the whole purpose of the local plan is to, is to start effectively afresh and, and look at all options. And I think that's really the, uh, the complaint we have is that they haven't looked at all reasonable alternatives um, and, and, and scope. And I, and I do also agree with some of the points made by other um, speakers about the... Um, uh, the very reduced um, growth in some of the other key villages where um, growth of what, one, three, four units divided by 19 uh, villages works on average of about seven units per, per settlement and that's hardly enough to um, boost um, local services, shops and schools, etc. So it just seems to me that the, the whole strategy is too heavily weighted towards the garden settlements and not enough towards the existing uh, communities uh, which do, in some cases, need a boost to, to um, support existing facilities. Thank you. Mr Gadd. Thank you. Um, I just wanted, well, was originally going to come back on Mr Black's opening comments, but I think, I think quite a few people have made the similar comments. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, actually, it's all, most of the comments have been the same thrust. And I think, fundamentally, his reference to the table in SP3 is misleading because that only covers a very a small proportion of the houses to be built in under the plan and I think the relevant table for you to look at actually is the one in 3.67 paragraph 3.67 of the draft plan 
And you just... Sorry. Yeah. Three um. points. Yeah. So it's one below 3.67, yes, yeah. yeah. And I think it's relevant because you just touched on the plan inspection in 2014. And the reality is because that plan was withdrawn, effectively all of the development under this plan has been front-loaded, or most of the development for this plan has been front-loaded to the existing towns and villages. So if you look at the numbers, I mean, Saffron Warden has you know, actually had 1,400, 1,393 houses. So that's about a 20-25% increase. The number of houses in Dunmo is more than, more than doubles the, site of, the size of Dunmo from how it was in 2011. And if you look back at the others, I mean, the Type A and Type B villages, for example, you know, the number is actually 737 rather than 134. And all that's happened is that all of the, exist, all of the development in the existing settlements has been front-loaded because of the lack of five-year land supply and because of the lack of bringing forward um, the garden communities. So, and this partly also goes to your question six, where you talk about whether it's realistic to provide a large proportion of the houses in garden communities. But actually what, what's being provided is, about, is just under 5,000 out of a total of 14,700, I think it is. 14, yeah, we're part way through the plan period, aren't we? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, I think the, the picture that's being painted, I think, is misleading because it's as if we're starting from scratch rather than actually recognising what's happening. Yeah. Um, because that's where the council's table about commitments comes in, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And from a Saffron Warden perspective, it probably primarily concerns me. She, I mean, the council spent a huge amount of time looking at sites in Saffron Warden. Actually, some of those sites approved now are ones that have previously been rejected by inspectors on appeal as unsustainable. And because of the pressure of the five-year land supply and the pressure to find sites, actually, you know, sites which were previously considered unsustainable have actually been approved because of the pressure. So... I think the reverse is actually where we should be aiming for, which is more allocation in garden communities, or you know, at, least, at least where UDC is at the moment. So more in the garden communities and less in... Well, as a, as a very minimum, you know, as a minimum where we are at the moment. So I'm, I'm not advocating to change the plan. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying you should... You know, all the points being made ignore the fact of the scale of development which has been already either built or approved as set out in table 367. I think that is a much better base for you to start from. So what you're saying is the kind of garden community will redress that balance a little bit in the, exactly. in the other part yeah, of the... Exactly, yeah, it's just they're backloading they're back the development yes. through there, effectively. Thank you. You've got, I can't see all the, uh, Miss, oh, I'll just, I'm kind of going around the tables. I didn't know whether the, the lady here, <laughs> Miss Parrott, had hers. Uh, I can't see everybody's, uh, I think Mr Black's next, I think. Thank you, Mark. I did just want to come back on that and, and conscious of uh, playing the ball, not the man here, but um, I wasn't attempting to mislead anybody. Uh, in taking you to that table. I'm very aware of what 3.67 no, says. What I would just say, though, that it does set out the, what's been delivered so far. That's dwellings that have already been built and dwellings with planning permissions. 
we're attempting to look forward in this plan and the council have said they are taking a hybrid approach you can't take an approach to something that's already been done so that was my uh, comments in that regard and talking about what the council are doing looking forward and they're saying a hybrid approach very conscious of what's gone on before but we're looking forward not back yeah i suppose the hybrid approach is to the whole plan and the plan period starts in um, 2011 isn't it so i think that's is that fair to say but that's the point we were trying to make yes, yes. um and no we weren't trying to accuse anyone of misleading no, anyone i think you wasn't okay mr hollingsworth thank you ma'am um it's just, firstly, I completely agree with Mr. Black there, um, made, made the very point I, I was going to make. I mean, clearly this uh, plan period does run from 2011, but it, it then goes on to 2033, so that's yeah. quite a considerable amount of time in which there will be no growth to a number of, of villages within, uh, within the district if this local plan were to, to be, carried for, be carried forward in its current form. Um, and I think the, the Table 1 cited by the council in their hearing statement indeed the, the table referred to under 3.67 quite neatly illustrate one of the problems with this plan that we have got some growth occurring in in villages um, presumably a, a fairly sustainable level it, um, helping to support those services and but through this local plan that suddenly grinds to a halt and just would, would stop and be would redirected elsewhere and I think um, Henham which was uh, mentioned earlier, I think gives a, a useful example for us to see. If I could refer you to the council, one of the council's evidence-based documents, which is 1204.1, which is the... I'll just get hold of that uh, thank you. document. I mean, it may, it may not be necessary to actually turn it up, Mom, because it's just a, a figure I wanted to quote from that. Yeah, yeah. it's not easy to... It's, I can give you the direct reference from that. It's very, that's, very um, that's Essex County Council's document, which looks at school places and, and forecasts looking forward based on existing commitments. Um, now, for Henham Primary School, it notes that that currently has a surplus of places, not an uncommon issue within rural schools and uh, sorry, schools in, in rural villages. And, of course, there's, there's always that concern that important community facilities such as primary schools, will, will they be sustained through future growth? And, um, now, that's, as I say, um, sorry, current surplus of 23 spaces. That is projected accounting for new housing commitments to have increased to 35 by 2021-22. So actually the surplus is going up. It's not a case it's been sustained or in fact new housing is helping support that school. It's actually increasing capacity. And I would suggest perhaps fears of the long-term sustainability of facilities as that are increasing. I think just, just one example of this problem with relying on past growth, which as has already been noted, is spread along uh, amongst a large number of villages as well. And it's these type A and type B villages are just clumped together, but that's an awful lot of settlements which do have a range of community facilities which the, the local plans acknowledge. Thank you. Is it Mr. 
Cosgrove next. Thank you, um, Madam. Can I just just um, draw matters slightly back briefly um, and addressing your question um, of why, in effect, why were various options chosen? That's the, grappling with sounds as you do. And, and part of that explanation uh, has to take into account in my submission um, the sustainability uh, appraisal work. Uh, and it is important for you to recall uh, when you're considering these matters, of course, that the council, uh, when deciding to submit this plan and this spatial strategy, and we know you'll recall the last time the council looked at this matter was in October 2018, the council were at that stage uh, looking at uh, essay work, assessing what options and what strategies they should pursue, that was flawed. Uh, and, Madam, just for your note, the ACOM November 2018 report, which is document 104.22, that's the independent review of the essay work, which was before the Council at that stage, the June uh, 2018 work, was abundantly clear about the inadequacies of it, in particular, you'll see at Section 5, when you have time to, to refresh your memory of that document, uh, that that essay work that the Council um, proceeded upon and upon which the plan was submitted did not clearly, it says, identify, describe and evaluate uh, significant effects of reasonable alternatives, nor set out the reasons for choosing the preferred spatial strategy in light of them. Uh, and as a consequence of that, as the ACOM Independent Review makes clear, the public and indeed the council that chose this strategy were not presented with uh, genuine reasonable alternatives uh, to the preferred spatial strategy. So that, that is the important uh, context which um, faces us. Now, of course, you have and we have the subsequent updated ex post facto essay work, which you've already heard um, submissions on in matter one, which I'm not going to repeat, but that is critical it's allied to my legal submissions, which, again, I don't repeat as to why this whole process is, is problematic anyway, the point I raised on, on day one, because, of course, um, the Regulation 19 submissions that you have didn't have the opportunity to, uh, to comment on, as didn't the members about this spatial strategy in, in a proper way. But looking then at the updated essay work, the issue is whether then that, that identifies that what is pursued now is the most appropriate strategy, is it effective and is it justified, uh, and while we, for our part, we accept certainly that the garden communities have a longer-term role, we've made that clear, uh, we don't consider that the evidence um, supports uh, a sound basis for uh, considering that the garden communities will provide in the shorter term uh, what the council think they will do. Um, as, I, as I said yesterday, um, it is critically important, as I know you, you understand, that similar concerns were raised by the North Essex inspector, and I know you have them fully in mind, relying on some of the similar evidence that we've put before you, the similar research about delivery and viability. Um, and, and so far as the option one, which is the recommended option which informs the spatial strategy, we've set out in our statement of Para 1.7 our key concerns why we, we suggest to you that is flawed. It is actually an option when you look at the updated essay work, of course, um, and just for your notice, page 445 of the updated essay, it's actually an option um, that recognised in terms that it was less likely um, to meet the housing need um, early on in the plan period. In the context of that was in the context of spatial strategy objective 12. And, and we're going to suggest to you as we go through um, this examination, certainly the week after next, that it's plain when you look at the evidence or, or, or the lack of evidence 
relating to option one, that it has um, serious flaws uh, and a serious over-reliance on infrastructure, uh, which is not shown to be deliverable. The, um, and, and we say that so far as the options that were considered in the updated SA, you'll appreciate we have, we have concerns as to others that the other reasonable alternatives were not looked at. But putting that aside, on the options considered, inadequate as that consideration was, option 2A, actually on the evidence, provides a far more sound and appropriate strategy. Um, you may recall that, that that option, in fact, scored equally in the updated SA work with the preferred option, and that, for your note, is table, I think the best place to find it is the non-technical summary table 2.8, um, where you have the scoring set out, and as the, the Council recognised that in their Matter 4 statement of Para 121. Uh, and that is relevant in, in the context of soundness when you consider that in conjunction with the North Essex inspector's findings, for example, on the west of Braintree Garden community. You put those together... Uh, uh, along with the other factors, and it is plain in our submission that um, the upshot is, as, as you heard yesterday in a slightly different context, for this plan to be sound, for the spatial strategy to have any prospect of working, there needs to be further allocation of small and medium sites in the key villages and the type A and B villages to allow the flexibility and the deliver deliverability of a hybrid strategy. Thank you. Ms Hutton. Thank you. Um, I've got a, a smorgasbord of points, so I right. hope you'll forgive me if yes, I make them. I think today's going to be a bit like that. I it's think a it... general discussion about spatial strategy. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's Thank easy you. to fit them into boxes, isn't it? No, no, I, I, I'm grateful. Um, well, the, the first, I'd start by echoing um, Mr Cosgrove's points that clearly... Um, in order to understand whether this is a sound plan, one does need to look at the SA um, and, the, and the recent SA. But you'll be glad to know I'm not going to rehash ground that's been gone over on day one. You'll remember the four errors I set out on the reasonable alternatives um, and, and the failure to assess the impacts. And I, and I won't repeat them today. But in terms of um, different points... Um, first, if I can start with um, Mr. Black and the, the, the sort of numbers discussion that was had earlier and whether this is genuinely a hybrid strategy. And it, it strikes me that the elephant in the room here is that the, um, it, it may well be that during this plan period, the garden communities account for, say, 30% of development. But what about the next plan period? Because what is being set down in principle by uh, this strategy is, as we heard uh, on, on day one, is an additional 20,000 houses in the garden communities above the need that has been assessed for this plan period. So what that means is that the strategy for the next plan period is effectively being set down. The needs for the next plan period haven't, been, haven't even been assessed. And we have, and I'm going to come to this a bit more in, in question eight, uh, we have very serious concerns about how uh, the impacts, particularly beyond 23, have been assessed. And I did touch on that on day one as well. They've largely been kicked down the road. So it's false... Um, <coughs> I say, to focus on this being a hybrid strategy without acknowledging that you are 
what, what this council is doing is committing the council in the next plan period to something which is, could well be garden communities alone. So uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but it was said, um, I think it was Mr Hollingsworth, suggested, well, that, this means no growth uh, in towns and villages up to 2033. The reality is it will be much, much longer than that because of the principle, the amount of development that this uh, plan is seeking to uh, lay down the principle for. Um, moving on to a quite separate point in terms of soundness, and one of the first questions you asked on day one was uh, with regards to the newspaper article and uh, comments of the leader of this council. And um, it was said by... Uh, said by the council, well, that's not a, an official decision. The official decision was taken by this council uh, last October, and that was to submit the plan. However, you do have on record before you, on the official record, the views of the elected um, the majority of councillors for this local authority, and that's their Regulation 19 response. That response has not been withdrawn. And in that response, they make a number uh, of concerns and, and state in terms that this is not a sound plan. And those are the elected members, the majority uh, elected members for this council. And so we say those views should be given uh, significant weight by you, particularly in light of the fact that they haven't been withdrawn. And then my third point, which is a little bit longer and, and, and riffs perhaps off of what uh, Mr Cosgrove has said is that um, it is our position that throughout the process and preparation of this plan the reasoning and evidence base behind the strategy has been flawed all the way through and it is important to emphasise all the way through because on day one it was clear that the council weren't simply... They said, well, we don't simply rely on the updated SA. There was also considerable work done uh, before then. It's not clear which bits are being cherry-picked to rely on, but it is therefore important to go backwards. And if one goes back to 2016, when the hybrid strategy uh, was chosen, we know there was no lawful SA setting out reasonable alternatives. But we also know from the SA itself, the updated SA that the reasons upon which it was based uh, were obviously flawed. And if one goes to page 40 of the updated essay, table 6.5, This is a uh, table setting out the development scenario, risks and benefits presented to full council on 28th of June 2016. This was when uh, the hybrid strategy, uh, so-called, was set down. Um, if one, for example, looks under risks in option three, which was all development in the two main towns, Saffron Walden uh, and Great Dunmo, um, one of the reasons there for the risks was the restriction on pooling for 106 uh, for infrastructure. Now, of course, that's, that's, that's in, in the offing to be removed, the restriction. But, of course, well, there's no consideration there. What about SIL? Um, and uh, that is clearly an obvious consideration, which simply wasn't put into the mix. It's also stated that that option 
involves a significant impact on the historic character and landscape setting, um, we would question the quality of the evidence uh, to back that up. We haven't seen it. Uh, but of course, then if one looks at the new, any discussion of new settlements, absolutely no mention of heritage and landscape impacts. Now, um, landscape impacts, wherever you're citing at least 5,000 houses, are clearly going to be an issue. They're a very significant issue at North Uttlesford. But we now know we've got a historic England objection at North Uttlesford. So those matters, clearly weighty material considerations, not taken into account, not presented uh, to the councillors. Um, option four, combination of development in main towns and villages, uh, contains the risk, second risk down, uncertainty that the scale of individual developments would provide the infrastructure required, an infrastructure deficit. Uh, again, no mention of SIL, which of course, you know, if, this, if that comment were right, then every single local authority would have to plan by garden communities. They don't. Clearly they don't, because there are mechanisms in order to address infrastructure issues. Moving on, we know that the minimum size of the garden communities was determined by the driving factor, which was uh, an erroneous belief that 5,000 homes were needed for a secondary school. I dealt with that on day one. I won't deal with it again. Then we get the decision from the council um, that three garden communities rather than two were needed, and we can find the reason for that given at 6.94 of the updated essay which is delivery rates. Um, and we know that the third one to be added was uh, North Uttlesford, uh, added solely because an additional 2,000 houses were needed in the planned period. Now, anyone know, if, if delivery rates are the problem, it's frankly crazy to allocate uh, a garden community above smaller development elsewhere. And we, you know, I, I understand there was a lot of discussion yesterday about the problems of getting garden communities off, off the ground. That'll be a discussion that happens in, uh, in two weeks' time again. But what this is, is a sledgehammer to crack a nut. And uh, it ties in, of course, with my first comments I made of, of essentially setting up the next plan period uh, with the majority of the development being proposed for this plan, where you don't even need, know the needs uh, which, which will be experienced by this borough. So I dealt on day one with the reasons why the recent essay work hasn't remedied the defects, and I'm, I'm not going to repeat those comments, but the brief summary is that there's been a failure to consider the true impacts, failure to consider the reasonable alternatives, and the failure to take into account the disparity in development numbers uh, between the various options. If we then just bring ourselves right up to date and turn to the reasons given in the local plan for the hybrid strategy being said to be chosen, and one finds them at paragraph 3.9. And it's said there in the second sentence focusing significant new development in the villages or the two main towns would result in a scale of development which would have a detrimental impact on the character and historic asset, assets of the town or village, the surrounding countryside and the highway 
network. Furthermore, the scale of individual developments would not provide the infrastructure uh, required. So, first point uh, on, the, on those reasons is where is the evidence that the true alternative, alternative options to say, for example, one, um, take out one garden community, where is the evidence that those 2,000 houses you'd need, for example, if it were North Uttlesford, would cause more landscape harm, more heritage harm um, than North Uttlesford? The evidence isn't there because that's an option that has not been looked at. And then in terms of the infrastructure issue, again, where has there been consideration of the use of silt? to fund um, that which is required. And we, we know that that's done by a very significant number of local authorities um, and, and very successfully. So well, those are my comments under, under question one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Matt, We've had quite a few comments. Yeah, can I come back? I just want to respond. Just, I don't want to respond on the detail of those points. But given that you very carefully made it clear that you were taking it on trust, that parties would confine themselves to the points that they had made in their written submissions to you. Yes. It is, frankly, disappointing that a professionally represented party should so depart in those submissions from the matter for statement that you've got. And you've got the statement from Great Chesterford Parish Council that was provided to this hearing. Uh, and I say it is disappointing that there's been such a blatant disregard of your very clear guidance in the submissions that you've made. Uh, sorry, the, the submissions you just heard. So is it a departure from the Regulation 19 yeah. statement too? Yeah, yeah. there's, right, there's okay. no mention of the SIL point uh, in uh, the uh, submissions that uh, um, have previously been made. And obviously th there's been a, there was a, a large amount of rehash of uh, the uh, Parish Council's concerns about sustainability appraisal, despite starting with some words to you, oh, we're not going to rehash those points, a large amount of what you've just heard was, in fact, seeking to revisit the sustainability appraisal arguments. And certainly, we're not proposing to respond uh, to those matters. Uh, the delivery matters, fair point, that's an issue, albeit that the detail of that is going to be uh, uh, the week after next uh, in terms of... We talked of about that matters. to some degree yesterday, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, quite. The, I mean, the, the, the issues on delivery, clearly, say so we did talk about it yesterday, and we will be talking about the individual garden communities uh, as uh, we go forward. But uh, I, I just, before we say anything further, I just wanted to make it clear that it, it, it isn't really an acceptable use of the process for parties to do what has just been done, which is to sort of just take the opportunity to speak and then introduce whatever they feel they wish to do. Yes, thank you. I, I agree. And as I say, I can't monitor everything that's said based on statements. Do you want to? Yes, I do, Mum. I, I think, um, Mr. Bedford, may be confused in that your direction was to stick to the Regulation 19 yes. response, not the Matter 4 statement, because of course the Matter 4 statement is optional. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'd be very happy to run through, <coughs> I mean, this is our Regulation 19 response, I'd be very happy to run through everything I did and find uh, the basis for what I've said in that, um, if that will assist you, and I'll, I'll produce that in writing. But it, yes, yeah, I think we'll probably just let it, time. let it go at this stage, yes. Um, but, yeah, if everybody can be just careful on those um, particular points. Did you want to come back, Mr Miles? I'm conscious we heard quite a few people as well before 
sort of making very similar points to probably some that have already been addressed. But uh, whether there's anything else that. Uh, uh, yes. I think the SA work we discussed at yes, I length. I don't think we need to go back. No, I wasn't going to talk about the SA work. Um, in terms of directing you to a, a summary of uh, evidence-based considerations and how the Council's come to, to the strategy it has in, in terms of uh, Ms Hutton's point about if you didn't have North Huddleswood and um, we've not looked at what would happen if you, if you did it elsewhere, I would like to direct you to um, our spatial strategy background paper, section G, starting at page, paragraph 4.48, page 27, um, although they're skimming that bit fairly quickly. Um, the, the main bit I was going to direct you to started at sorry, paragraph 4.52 on page 29, where we set out the testing work that has uh, that we've undertaken, looking at additional growth options at Saffron Walden, um, primarily looking at growth options up to 1,350 dwellings, but also looking at the impact of a much larger growth option of 5,000 homes at uh, Saffron Walden. Um, and then uh, moving on to comments from Historic England about the, the, the impact of that option. The, the, the state, the document, then moves on to looking at uh, Great Dunmo as well. Yeah, so, I mean, I would just direct, direct you to have a look at this. Uh, Can you just give me that document reference for myself and everybody else? It's 1400.1. 1400.1, yeah. Um, I mean, generally, the, the document itself gives a very good summary of, of the process the Council has been through. Thank you. Oh, that was the one we talked about at the beginning as well. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, let me see if there's any other points I want to make. Um, the point being made about uh, this plan um, having implications for the growth needs in future plans, yes. uh, that, I mean, the council agrees that that is what we're doing, but um, disagrees that that is a problem. It's, it's not unusual for local plans to look at uh, allocating sites which look beyond the, the plan period. Um, as an example, South Cambridgeshire to, to the north of us have uh, Waterbeach Newtown allocated, Northstone Newtown allocated, um, both of which go beyond their, their plan period. Um, similarly, East Hearts recently had uh, Gilston Newtown, Harlow and Gilston Newtown as part of its plan, which goes beyond their plan period. So we say that's not an unusual thing to do. I think what was the concern was it might be worth addressing is the quantum as well. You know, sometimes there's a, a bit of a spillover, maybe a couple of thousand or whatever it was a quantum. I think that that might almost take up all of the need in the next plan period. Obviously, none of us have got a crystal ball and don't know what that need will be. But uh... Uh, No, so right, you're right to say that we, we don't know what that need is going to be. Um, I would also uh, reference again South Cambridgeshire. Uh, they have uh, Waterbeach and Northstow, as I said, so they have two sig very significant new towns. Waterbeach, I think, is approaching 10,000 dwellings, as is Northstow. Um, yeah, so it, again, it's, 
it, it's it, pushing it's lots of development into the next. Has yeah. that been adopted, that plan? It has. It was adopted October of last year. I mean, their, their growth needs are, are higher than, than ours, and you can't compare everything exactly, but the, the principle of significant amounts of development really um, rolling forward in, into the, the next plan period is, is the point I'm making. Thank you. Mr Parsons, I think you're next. Sorry, I've, I've, I've had my board up a while, so I'll try and pick up the points that I wanted to make. But just the first point is going back to Stansted Mountfitchet. You remember Mr Martin mentioning that... Um, uh, and the role that that has in key villages and, and you were taken to the response that the local plan inspector made at the, 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 plan, the last plan that was found unsound and withdrawn. I'd just caution you on that. Those comments were made in relation to the position of Stanston Mount Fitchett in the hierarchy and not to the level of development that that particular settlement should take. That's quite a different point, I think, to what Mr Martin was making even if it was about the numbers, we have a new plan now and it is right for the local authority to consider things afresh. It can't just simply rely upon what the last local plan inspector said and not need to do any more work. Stanton Mount Fitchett is a key village and at Criterion 2 of Policy SP2, it's identified, along with the other key villages, as being a major focus for development in the rural area. And yet Stansom Mount Fitchett, in terms of allocations, has just 0.3% of those allocations. And I can tell you that that allocation that is proposed already has planning permission because I dealt with that application. It has planning permission for 35 units plus one self-build unit. So in terms of what Stansom Mount Fitchett will be doing in, in supporting this major focus, it will be spent in the early part of the plan by the committed sites that are coming forward. Your question in relation to this part of the hearing is about evidence. And what I would say is when you do look at Appendix 2 of the Master 4 Statement, sorry, you'll see the table, the list of towns and villages, and you'll see them all listed out there with their various household numbers and the facilities that they have. But what you won't see is any qualitative assessment of that. It's all very well to note that something has a shop, for example, but if that's a shop that provides a very basic range of services, it's not the same as you will find in Stansted Mount Fitchett, which has a wide range of shops, including a Tesco Express. Yeah, I think that, that I asked the question of the council about that, didn't there? Was there some more evidence base that associated that table? And you, you did respond. I, I think there is. I mean, we can, we can look into it, providing yes, it's so beyond the, that table, some sort of um, text that, yeah. Oh, well, I'd be glad to see that because I, I haven't seen that, so it would be useful to have that. Um, because it, that is an important consideration when you are looking at the alternatives for development and when you're looking at the spatial strategy and where you should put those numbers. Um, we say that Stansted Mount Fitchett should have more. You've heard other people say that their settlements that they think should have more and Great Chesterford Parish Council believe that North Uttlesford should be removed and clearly there are opportunities elsewhere for whatever you remove from North Uttlesford. Um, Going back to Stansted Mount Fitchett and the, the evidence, which again is the point that you raised, uh, you'll remember my mentioning yesterday about the sites that my client has at 15 STA 15. The council today took you to their document 14,000.1, where it sets out the evidence that it's used 
in preparing this plan, you will not find anything in that list that supports the claim that it's made for discounting my client's site. Uh, and I appreciate we're not talking about individual sites, but it's important because if there's no evidence to discount that, where is the evidence to discount the other sites that it says will lead to significant landscape, heritage, transport, sustainability, all of those other impacts that it's relying upon to justify a strategy that takes you to the garden communities? That evidence, we say, isn't there. Uh, and, and comments like, I think that evidence is there, it's just not good enough today. You should know, you should be told where that evidence is. You should be taken there. Um, so I think that concludes all of the points that I'd like to make on this one in that particular question. But I may have other points on the other questions that are coming up. No, that's fine. Mr. Miles, do you want to come back on those points? It'd be useful just to have a response, please, in terms of that and where the discounting of sites has taken place? The, discount, the, the assessment of Sorry, site, yes. yes. So, so what, what, yes. what Ms. Parsons was saying, there's nothing in the list for discounting sites. Where's the evidence? So, so the evidence for the site assessments is in the strategic land availability assessment. Um, it, the, uh, Ms. Parsons is wrong to say that there, there is nothing in, in document 1400.1 um, saying that there... That, about the discounting or, or accepting or rejection of sites. If you turn to Appendix uh, 3 in that document, this, this summarises the conclusions from the Strategic Land Availability Assessment um, on a site-by-site -site basis in, in a big... It's a great big table, it's not... Is this it's a bit uh, like an essay type table? Well, no, it's that one. It's, it's, before you get to those... It's all bound together, this, yes. so it's quite hard so it's, to... It's oh, part, yeah. and it's yeah. page 20, I think... Have you got that document in front of you, Ms. Parsons? My, my computer just shut itself down. Oh, really? I did have it. Um, I am familiar with it, though. Right. Uh, and when you turn it up, you'll see that it's, it's opinion-based. There's no reference to any factual evidence base to support the opinions of the council at that stage about the landscape impacts relating to 15 STA 15. It was ruled out at a very early stage. It didn't get past go. And so the same level of scrutiny that has been applied elsewhere has not been applied to that particular site. And my question is, how many other sites fell at that initial hurdle with such limited evidence? Do you want to comment back on that? Um, so, like I say, the, the appendix in that document is a summary from the Strategic Land Availability Assessment. The, the Strategic Land Availability Assessment is, is the proper document to be looking at. That is based on um, an uh, assessment of the merits of the site by planning officers. So it, it's involved site visits um, and, and a professional judgment. Analysis. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. I'll just leave it for you to decide yes. whether you think there's, there's no cross-reference, for example, to a landscape visual appraisal that would support an officer's opinion. So I'll, I'll leave that one with you. Thank you. Mr Barber. Uh, thank you, ma'am. A, a lot of the points I was going to raise have already been raised. But, but a similar point um, to uh, those of my colleague, uh, Ms Parsons, 
but in a slightly different context. Um, I'll take you to um, paragraph 1.4 of um, the Council's matter statement, um, which um, talks about a strategy focusing on uh, new development in locations with opportunities to reduce the travel between homes, jobs, services and facilities. Um, that's in the context of, of what they say in 1.3, where it's a mainly rural uh, uh, area with, with a limited rural transport network. But there are locations within the district um, uh, where there are settlements, uh, key villages with really good uh, transport connections, really good uh, links to employment, including Stansted Airport. And again, um, coming back to the point that Ms Parsons made about discounting those sites at an early stage through a policy construct, um, and this is in relation to the countryside protection zone, it's a simple blanket removal uh, of sites because of that policy construct. Um, I will comment briefly on the site because it is subject to a planning application. And we know from the evidence that the site does not contribute in a huge way to the purposes of that CPZ. But it's, it's been a blanket uh, application of that policy which has discounted sites which may have a role to play in delivering growth in the early years. Thank you. Thank you. It's just coming up to half past 11. Now what I'll do, I'll try and get to the end of that back table and then we'll take a break and um, then we'll start on the front row again. <laughs> I think, is it Mr... Catsey on uh, Mr Ather? Thank you, Mom. Yes, Simon Ather on behalf of Great Dunmo Town Council. Um, I certainly won't repeat a lot of the excellent points that have been made already this morning, um, but I just want to add a couple, if I, if I may. Um, Firstly, we, we would echo um, the, 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 the point that was made by Mr. Coltsgrove earlier, um, that no reasonable alternative strategies um, have been presented or properly considered. Um, the spatial strategy, as it's proposed, we do not consider, is reflective of the hybrid strategy that's set out in the SA, particularly with the significant numbers that are going to the garden communities um, of, of sort of 76% of, of numbers. Um, we think that poses a, a risk to the delivery and soundness of the plan, particularly as those large numbers are expected to come um, late on in the plan period and, and obviously significant numbers further on beyond this current plan period. Um, we think the plan would be more resilient if more small and medium sites were allocated to the key villages uh, and also particularly the type A villages um, that at present have obviously only got 134 proposed. Um, we, we think there is further capacity there within those villages that, that, that more could be, could be added to. Um, and, and certainly we would, would echo a lot of the points that have been raised this morning, particularly in, in respect to the distribution of where that, that growth is proposed. Thank you. Thank you. Should we need to come back? I think that's points that have probably really been made on. Mr MacDonald. Uh, just a, a relatively short point. Um, nothing to do with housing. I know most of the discussion has been about housing. But um, 
In paragraph, there are a number of paragraphs that mention LSCC, London Stansted Cambridge Corridor, and in particular paragraph 3.48 of the plan says the local authorities, including Uttersford, will deliver sustainable growth which supports the economic ambitions of the LSCC. Now that concerns me because the LSCC, as far as I'm aware, is an entity that is not formally recognised by government or um, the local authority. Uh, rather, it's a pressure group that's led by Stansted Airport. Um, and given that it, LSCC has no standing, I believe, in local planning matters, it's mentioned here as inappropriate and, if anything, implies bias towards the aspirations of Stansted Airport without full and proper consideration. So I believe any, any encouragement of Stansted Airport expansion, which that seems to give, um, should not be part of the plan. I think any aspirations that the airport may have should go through the normal process without the encouragement of a blanket statement like that. Which paragraph was it, sorry? Uh, 3.48 in particular. Uh, 4, 8. I was looking at but there are several, several other mentions of LSCC. Do you want to make any more points before I ask the council to respond on that? No, no, no okay. thank you. Thank you. Are you able to comment on that point and LSCCC, what their status is? Um, it's, well, I don't believe it. it's a pressure group uh, led by Stansted Airport. It, it's, a, it's a grouping of various organisations which... One second... If you want to check and come back after a break, that's that's fine. If... Yeah, um, it's a it's a consortium of councils of which Uttlesford District Council is a member, um, uh, along with uh, other councils in the area. It has um, uh, democratic input in that way, or input from democratic bodies in that way, um, and, and it. Yeah, it, it's entirely appropriate and, and proper that we reference it within the local plan. So it's a properly constituted body, it's not a yeah. Yeah, pressure. Thank you. MacDonald or? Uh, only to say I'd like you to check that situation because my understanding is that it's primarily, it's, its prime funder is Stansted Airport and uh, it, it has, it's not been supported by the electorate or by anything else like that. I know a number of, a lot of authorities have joined that group, but it's, one of its prime roles is to promote Stansted Airport. I mean, the council seemed quite clear about what its uh, purpose is and how it's constituted and the sort of members that attend the meetings and things. But, uh... We can provide, I mean, uh, aims or objectives or some summary of what... Yeah, uh, whether it has a sort of... Yeah, I, I, we can look to provide some fine, information. something and put it on the um, examination website for people to see. Thank you. Mr. Berman, do you have your placard? No. Okay. So we've got to the end of that row, so I think it's probably a good opportunity to have a short break. Um, when I say short, I think we probably need about 20 minutes, given the, the amount of people we've got um, in the room today and to access services and the tea and coffee and things I'm sure you're all in need of. Um, so if we break until... Uh, so if we say until 5 to... 
Please hold your meat. That should give everybody. If we're back, if everybody's back sooner, we can start. But um, yeah, okay. Thank you. Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Nobody sat there, was Everybody's back at the table ready to start. Um, so we, we started on question one. I think we've kind of 
gone off that a little bit and that happens with these sorts of general topics. I think probably the best suggestion is we sort of carry on hearing what everybody's got to say and then at the end we'll run through the agenda and if there's particular points that people want to make on particular questions that haven't been covered then uh, we'll pick it up but they kind of get blended all the sort of issues um, on things like the spatial strategy. Is everybody happy with that particular approach? Okay. So we'll just kind of carry on and, until everybody feels like they've said all they want to say. And yeah. And Are you saying we just speak randomly and you'll round it up at the end, or are we going to follow this list? Or what? yeah, I mean, I think because what, what's happened is that we've kind of gone off the the general sort of point, and, and other things are getting um, drawn in. So we've. Point two is about um, villages and the hierarchy, etc. Yeah, so we've, we've we covered. Dealt with that, yeah. So yeah, we've covered that. Um, and then there's other points that I think we've probably already started to um, get into in terms of you know the proportion of homes in garden communities is realistic. Um, we've talked a little bit about windfall. We've talked a little bit about small and medium-sized sites. So it kind of all gets muddled up, and it's prop. It's not always effective to just deal with it in points on these sorts of matters so no I, 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 I'm going to run the inquiry for you but if we all just speak randomly about every point we want to make across the agenda one that's going to be you know 10 minutes per person and it's going to have no form to it or it's entirely up to you I've got very few points I'm not speaking personally I'm just no, yeah, and so well, sometimes that's a quicker way of dealing with it when there's lots of people rather yeah. than going through each question, everybody going round and round the table till we're kind of dizzy with it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's often the more effective way to, okay. to, well, to handle these. Say, so when it's a general topic almost rather than very different points. When we come to the week after next, the points are more specific on, on some of the things and you do need to sort of stick with them. But, um, and, and yesterday when we are talking about housing land supply, um, so hands, uh, objectively assess needs, some of those points are very specific, so you okay. need to kind of stick with it. Okay. okay. So Mr Cronk. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to begin by endorsing what was said by Mr Cosgrove and Miss Hutton in terms of uh, significant concerns over the uh, spatial strategy. Um, the point I was originally going to make uh, was really one Mr Afer made um, regarding the general distribution of uh, development and going back to the 134 dwellings split amongst the type A villages, 19 of them and only representing about seven dwellings each. Uh, Stephen Parish Council believes that a fair and balanced approach needs to be taken in relation to housing distribution throughout the villages. It believes there is a significant scope for adults of villages to accommodate additional new housing supply, which would reduce the, the current over-dependence upon garden community provision. We believe that the plan underplays the role and importance and opportunities that neighbourhood plans Offer obviously a number of local uh, 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 number of councils, uh, parish councils, are progressing neighbourhood plans. Stebbing being one of them. The, the parish council isn't adverse to appropriate development that respects the historic environment. That was the point I was going to make. Um, given that you've uh, um, invited us to expand that, I think that the. Question six really 
was the one that um, obviously the provision of a large proportion of new homes with, within Garden communities being realistic. Uh, that was the question perhaps that um, we think is particularly pertinent. We believe that after yesterday's discussion and the Council's admission just before lunchtime yesterday that instead of 970 dwellings, only 640 dwellings at most would be coming forward from west of Braintree in the plan period demonstrates that the answer to your question is no. There won't be a large proportion of new homes coming forward from Western Braintree, not in the plan period. And furthermore, as others have um, referred to, that there are fundamental issues as to the deliverability of Western Braintree given the ongoing North Essex Authority's examination and the status of Western Braintree. We've also heard that the Attlesford element can't come forward on its own. So the question is, in terms of your role in examining local plans and paragraph 182 of the MPPF, is the plan effective? Is, is the, the, plan, the plan should be deliverable over the local plan period. We would say that West of Braintree quite clearly isn't in the Attlesford context. Thank you. Do the council want to come back on any of those points? I'm not sure if there's any need to. But, uh... Just one very small point. Um, we didn't say 640 at most. We just said the trajectory indicated 640 for Western Braintree. If, if it delivered more, that wouldn't. We wouldn't be seeking to cap it. Thank you. Um, a brief point, um, going back on what was discussed earlier. I wonder how much the Council's vision of the spatial strategy and the, the perceived allocation of too few sites within the villages, um, is it? has influenced their assessment of the individual sites. Now, I know we're not here about individual sites, but I look in here at a site that we're promoting. I'm not going to mention it by name. Um, but the 2015 SLAA says, although not within walking cycling distance of the services in X, the site is in close proximity and could be considered a sustainable location for small-scale development. That was the analysis in 2015. The analysis in 2018, the site is considered unsuitable for development as it would not contribute to a sustainable pattern of development. Now, nothing has changed to the site in those intervening three years, apart from one thing, which we've obtained outline planning consent on part of the site on the basis that the development on the site is sustainable. So I'm just wondering, you know, has the vision for the spatial strategy unduly influenced the analysis of sites within the SLA?
you want to comment? It's probably difficult without um, uh, any reference to the site. I mean, I'm happy for you to, to give us the site reference, if that... So which settlement is it? In? Okay, might help the council. I mean, I don't know whether we need to look at a, the specific site because it's. But I think that general principle is, as a couple of people raised it now about. Uh, um, yeah, I, I I can't speak to the specific detail of no. that site assessment. Um, but as a generality, the 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 assessment of sites has not been has not been biased. It's been an officer assessment. Um, involving site visits to um, uh, assess the site against the, the criteria uh, that set out in the strategic land availability assessment methodology uh, and it's a professional and objective assessment. So when they did the 20, I think you said 2018, did they have the 2015 in front of them as a kind of reference point when that was done, you know, sort of what did we say then and are we saying the same now? Or do, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yes, they would have um, had the 2015 in, in front of them. Um, in terms of any differences, I, like I said, I can't speak to, to the specific no, differences. Just, no. Um, but, yeah. Maybe that's a, <clears throat> a discussion if necessary for outside of this inquiry, isn't it? You know, the council can help with that, but um, okay, that's helpful. <coughs> Mr Fisher, did you want to say anything else? No, okay. Mr. Hanna. Hi there. So, um, obviously, we were talking about sort of the general questions we wanted to bring up. Um, this was on question four. Um, really, the sort of points that um, we want to bring up are on uh, policy SP10. Now, it notes um, a sort of number of uh, uses that the council consider to be appropriate in the countryside, and they're listed from A to E. And uh, we view that this is uh, more restrictive than what uh, the NPPF 2012 allows for. Um, and, well, we do appreciate that in the Council's statement of paragraph 4.4 that there are some clarifications that this policy is to be read in conjunction with other development management policies, which covers um, point E of other uses which need to be located in the countryside. However, we view that the NPPF 2012 is sort of less restrictive in this list and um, provides a bit more clarification. And, you know, it states that all types of business um, should, and enterprise should be supported you know, through reuse of um, existing buildings. Uh, therefore, uh, this should be sort of accounted for within the policy. And really, sort of permitted development land is only mentioned later in the policy when talking about land outside of the green belt and the um, countryside protection zone. Um, therefore, we have uh, proposed a sort of modification in our um, statement, which you can review, uh, to account for that. Uh, we also view just the uses to be um, yeah, generally um, almost too vague. We appreciate that you know, the DM policies are, um, do provide some extra uh, points on this. However, um, we have made another suggested modification to the plan to include um, the uh, provision of sustainable transport facilities as part of uh, those uses listed. Thank you. Have the council had a chance to 
look at those or do you want to comment on what's been said about the restrictive nature of those that particular policy uh, so yes I can comment on, on what's been said about the restrictive nature of that policy as our statement says the plan should be read as a whole um, and in particular I would direct you towards um, EMP4 in the uh, draft plan which starts proposals which sustain and enhance the rural economy, economy by creating and or safeguarding business and jobs will be supported where they're appropriate to scale the location protect, and, and it goes on um, and then it, it uh, sets out a, a list of the type of developments that would be considered acceptable um, this includes expansion of businesses in their existing locations depending on the nature of the activities involved etc at point four within that policy so um, the council considers that uh, we do support appropriate um, business development within the, the, the countryside um, I would have to remind myself of the modifications proposed um, before commenting on them yeah my, my notes say that um, seeking change to policy TA4 and SP10 was that with TA4 policy is a development management policy which we'll deal with at stage two um, and then there's as you say you're suggesting some changes to policy SP10 um, I'll just um, find this statement Do you want to explain what those changes were while we're turning up the... Um... Yes, so the, um, there's, a, there's two changes to the SP10. One was to add after the sort of um, number of points after outdoor recreation, we suggested adding sustainable transport facilities. And in addition, after the um, sort of lettered points, um, a paragraph on um, sort of strengthening, strengthening the use of previously developed land within the countryside. Okay, so outdoor recreation and what was the sustainable? Uh, we would add in sustainable transport facilities. Right, okay. Uh, so I think outdoor recreation is in, in the draft policy, but the sustainable transport facilities... Yeah, I think that's the that's new one. Um, I mean, as a general comment, sustainable transport facilities, I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a, a wide... Um, could be a wide range of, of uh, things... Um, I mean, transport facilities generally, whether sustainable or not, high, new highways or, or something like that, would be, uh, yeah, well, they'd have to go through the countryside in order to go anywhere. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so my, yes, my initial thought is I'm not quite sure how useful it yeah, is. Yeah, I think we've got to be careful because sometimes yeah. you end up with an endless list, then it's kind of where do you draw the line, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, you know, the sort of various options and... Um, Things and the, and the other thing you talked about was a, an additional paragraph that talked about was that about sustainable transport as well? Uh, that was on uh, um, previously developed land, and it's just looking at the policy. 
it's uh, while this is later on the policy, it does talk about previously developed land outside of uh, Greenbelt and the Countryside Protection Zone. Actually, the NPPF 2012 um, actually promotes it sort of much more strongly, the use of um, previously developed land. Therefore, there needs to be greater emphasis in the policy. Therefore, that's why we have uh, uh, chosen to um, propose this additional paragraph as it's a, you know, all-encompassing sort of strategic element that you would consider at this stage. Yeah, one of, the, one of the, on question nine, one of the questions we raised was about um, whether policies SP9, SP10 and SP12 were appropriate as um, strategic policies, and I think the council agreed, apart from SP12, that the other two might be, might better sit. So I wonder if it might be better to sort of defer discussion of the detail of those, maybe to the stage two when we're dealing with other development management policies, because then we can look at it in conjunction with other policies that, that, that have, you have, do you know what I mean, to make sure there's no overlapping or see whether there's, you know, any other policies that deal with that. I think we're content with that approach, yeah. Yeah. Are you happy with that, Mr Hannah? That, uh... Uh, yes, I am, yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know whether, while we're on that point, if there's anybody got any particular objections to that particular approach, we're probably better to deal with it now than come back to it. No? Okay, so I think there's a... I'd like to make some points on this, but, but not detailed development management points. The points on what, where the policies sit in the plan, or...? Your question four. Yeah, we're on question... Well, I've, I've sort of jumped forward to question nine about... Um... Yes, yes, I appreciate that, but, but some, of the, some of the contributions earlier on were about SP2, SP10, and I had some points to make on that. Yes, we can come back to that. It was really whether, while we were on, while we were talking about SP10, what we're saying is we'll probably move SP10, or the council will eventually move that to the DM policies in yeah. the plan, and that's probably a more appropriate place to discuss um, the sort of detail that that's in, that that's it, that's in that policy. Those are normally matters that are considered at stage two. The sort of more detailed no, no, nuances of words and yeah. No, I'm fine with that. I was going to concentrate on SP two. Oh, that's fine. Yes, that's Can not. Can I do that now? Or uh, well, we're just going round the table this way again. So I'll come back to you. Okay. Okay. Leave your card up if you want, okay. so that I know. But um, just so that it's fair in terms of making sure everybody has. Did you want to say anything else, Mr. Hannah? That's everything. Okay, thank you. Yes, Miss, pronounce it Izod? It's Izod, yes, Izod, from yeah. Sorders. I just wanted to say on that point, I'm, I'm primarily here today concerned with the wording of policy SP10. Um, I am happy to, to defer that and come back at the stage two sessions to discuss the detail of the wording. Um, obviously, the policy sets out a strategic approach and, and the principles of um, what is appropriate in the countryside. Um, and if, you, if you're happy to defer those issues as well with regards to the... Um, the the support for development within the, the, the countryside area, um, then I'm, I'm happy with that approach, just as long as we can make those points at the stage two session. Yeah, it's fine. all about the wording, protection, as opposed to yes. um, recognising the character and beauty of the countryside. I think those sorts of fine details are better dealt with at stage two, those sort of uh, more detailed points. And I think these sorts of policies you normally tend to find in, in those DM policies sections of local plans okay yes okay. happy with that approach thank you okay thank you mr dixon 
Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you, ma'am. The comment, just by way of reference and to help you, the comments I'm going to make re uh, reference partly your question one, partly your question two, with a bit of question six and a bit of question eight okay. thrown in. So I thought now a was probably... A hybrid approach to question. Well, I thought now was probably a good time to make them. Okay. Um, as you know from the discussion that we had yesterday, our main point is that the strategy is not a balanced strategy and makes insufficient um, provision for uh, growth on um, small and medium-sized sites in the main towns and key villages. We've heard from others this morning about the imbalance between what we've had by way of development in the district over the years to date and what is planned from here on. And as Mr Black said, I think it was, you can salami slice the numbers however you want. To come back on a point that was discussed briefly and on which the council made a comment, and this is by way of illustration in part, um, but refers back to our Reg 19 reps and our statement as submitted. It's not just that the garden communities will continue to deliver post the plan period, but it's that by having three of them, and as a consequence virtually no small or medium-sized sites in the later stages of the plan, that at the end of the plan period, and presumably from then on, they will be delivering around 750 dwellings a year more than 75% of the annual delivery projected and higher than the upper step of the housing requirement on their own. And although we only have a trajectory going up to 20 to 32, 33, and I'm aware that the council are saying that you can only pay a certain amount of weight to that, we have to assume that that delivery will continue after the end of this plan period and into the next plan period. If I could bring you to the Council's housing trajectory, which we discussed yesterday, but this is relevant to the point I'm making. It's document 1103.2. I don't know whether you have that in Sorry, any 11... way to hand. 1103.2, 1103.2. The number rings a bell. Just, what's the title? I remember it's the mob the title. the housing trajectory and five-year land supply statement. Yes, I've got that in my um, room, but I'll get it out of the... Um, we have all this out. Yes, That's the one. Yeah. When we were discussing this yesterday, I made the point that housing delivery from the garden communities kicks in slowly and by 2025-26 we're starting to make a meaningful contribution at 300 dwellings a year. So if you see that year on the bar chart of 2025-26, you have the garden communities with 300 of the top, I'm going to call it turquoise colour. If we then turn to the trajectory which is attached to Appendix 2 to this document, it's quite a lengthy trajectory, and we have all the individual sites set out. However, if I could take you to the column that starts, the column that is for 2025-26, you'll note that on the first page, 
there's no delivery from any of those existing commitments. If you then turn the page, there's no delivery from any of those existing commitments. There's nothing. On the third page, there's two sites that are going to be delivering post-2025, both in Great Dunmo. If we turn the page again, we have one site, fourth row down, again, Great Dunmo. If we turn the page again, we have no delivery from any sites post-2025. Turn the next two pages, no delivery, no delivery. Turn the next page, no delivery, no delivery. Final page, no delivery. If we then look at the new allocations in purple in the trajectory, we ran down those. Thankfully, it's only two pages. But we have three sites delivering, both sorry, on the which, first page. On which, sorry, the... So the first page of the purple. Sometimes colours come out slightly different. They, they do. That's uh, why I said I was going to call it a turquoise, and I'm calling it purple. That's, that's how ours has done it. Um, these are the allocations in towns and villages. So we have three sites delivering post-2025 there, all in Great Dunmo. There's a couple of random zeros, but I've not been distracted by then. If you turn over the page to the last page, we don't have any delivery post-2025 apart from then the new garden communities. If we then turn back to the front page of this document, and you look at that bar chart again, starting with 2020, 25, 26, as I said, what we've just seen is that all of the delivery expected for nigh on the last decade of this plan period is coming from the three garden communities albeit given what we've heard about West Braintree in large part from two of those garden communities and from sites at Great Dunmo. I can't help noticing that Great Dunmo is less than a mile from one of those two garden communities. In other words, all of the projected housing delivery post-2025 within Uttlesford comes from three locations. There's nothing expected on any other site. And going back to the point I made at the start, presumably this is a pattern of growth that will continue post the end of the plan period, given the long-term commitment of the garden communities. So I take the point that there has been growth in the towns and villages over the years of the plan period that we've had to date, in large part driven by speculative applications and appeals and the absence of a five-year land supply. But our point is that over the, entire, over the plan period, and over the remainder of the plan period, the plan does not offer a very balanced growth, and there will be, and I hate to use the word, a degree of stagnation in those locations where there is no growth planned. I will reference the fact that there is, of course, the orange line on my bar chart, which is the windfall allowance. However, that's only going to be small sites and not really deliver anything meaningful by way of contributions towards infrastructure, etc., etc. So, as my, quite, as my client quite rightly commented when we ran through this, that's not really a very balanced approach to housing growth, is it? Thank you. Thank you, Mr Dixon.
want, do the council want to uh, respond to that? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, so the, the bar chart on the front of that document is uh, uh, just another way of looking at how the development is occurring across the um, throughout the district and across the plan period. So it is another way of looking at uh, the table, which I referred to earlier, table one in our statement, but with a... a so it illustrates uh, yeah, that. It, yeah. with, with a temporal um, uh, aspect to it. Mr Dixon is right to note that the delivery in the garden communities um, ramp, ramps up in, over the plan period. And as you get later on in the plan period, there is a significant... Uh, level of development in the garden communities and that that on a year-by-year -year basis is uh, yes is a high proportion the council doesn't disagree with that that is part of the strategy uh, of focusing development on on the garden communities and and market towns um, on the point about uh, nothing being expected on other sites and uh, the potential for stagnation as Mr. Dixon put it, um, he's right to note that the windfall allowance um, does allow for other sites, or does assume that other sites will come forward uh, in in the towns and villages and, and uh, throughout the district. There are the the re remaining allocations from this plan in in other parts of the, the green and blue, if if they're the same colour on on your chart. Um, as you uh, also mentioned earlier, there are the opportunities for neighbourhood plans to allocate um, further sites in, in their areas, and a number of neighbourhood plan steering groups are, are working on that at the moment, and, and if they want to do that in the future, the, the Council will, will support them on that as well. Thank you. Madam, could I just, perhaps just add on that point? One, is it, going back to you know the document 1400.1? Yeah. If you've got the appendices that go with it, uh, and it's particularly just Appendix 2, uh, there is a, a plan that just shows the areas of search. Uh, but the reason just for highlighting that is it, it just gives you a, a quick overview uh, of um, the district. And obviously you can see... Um, uh, where Great Dunmo sits to the south, you can see where Saffron Walton and therefore uh, uh, the north uh, Uttlesford Garden community location uh, to, the, uh, to the north of uh, Great Dunmo. Just I'm struggling to find Appendix uh, 2 because it's not paginated. Page, page 61 in. Uh, page so, 61. Yes, yeah, page 61 in mine. There, there are some page numbers. I don't know. Yeah. There's no sort of tabs where the appendices right. no, are. So there are. Sort of there are. Uh, I apologise for that. Right. Uh, I say, I mean, it, it's not so much using that plan um, for the detail of it, of areas of search. It was just because spatially it gives you an impression of the district, which obviously you're familiar with. And whilst Mr Dixon makes uh, a point about, as it were, which category of um, settlement or proposed new settlement the housing growth takes place in, Nonetheless, uh, in spatial terms, the distribution uh, between, obviously, west of Braintree, um, Eastern Park, and North Uttlesford uh, captures, as it were, spatially different parts of the 
district relative, obviously, to the communications, transport corridors, uh, the environmental constraints, etc., cetera, uh, together with uh, the point that's already been made by Mr. Miles uh, about the scope for uh, existing communities that do feel that they need uh, uh, growth to support and sustain their facilities and services to bring forward neighbourhood plans that will accommodate uh, that growth, but that's community-led planning responding to the needs of those communities. Uh, and then there is also, we haven't looked at the detail of it, there's policy H5, uh, which is uh, permissive, subject to the criteria of the policy being satisfied, of uh, small-scale growth uh, at uh, locations that don't actually have a settlement boundary. So, in a sense, the idea that, in a sense, some of the comments have been um, put to you, that the shutters come down for everything outside of the garden communities and one or two of the allocations is not a fair representation. But also, say, when you look at it spatially, uh, there's still a good range of choice, uh, even if uh, the, uh, the particular sites that are delivering that choice are predominantly within the garden communities. And the housing numbers in the SP3, they're not maximum numbers, are they? Um, so, you know, the, the housing requirement target number isn't a, a maximum? No, no, they're not maximums. No. They are reflective of the allocations in the plan, that, that's all. Yes. And the, the numbers associated with those allocations are indicative. And, um, so, so planning permissions wouldn't be refused because you've kind of reached the threshold for that? year or period. No, uh, we'd, we'd be looking at it in a design-led kind of manner and if they could, yeah. uh, if that led to the higher number or a lower number, then that would be what the council would consider acceptable. Thank you. Who's next? Ms Kerrigan. Thank you. Um, we uh, are promoting a site that's in Great Dunmore. Um, we do consider Great Dunmore as a market town, quite rightly, it should be the focus for new development and we do support that part of the spatial strategy. It is a sustainable location and it has existing and services available for development to come forward. Um, our main concern is, given the significant unknowns around the delivery of, of the garden communities, there does need to be more small to medium sites that come forward um, in the short term to make sure there is a, the housing need is met. Um, our specific concern um, with the evidence base, and it goes back to what was discussed earlier with the, with the SLA, is that um, a number of sites on the edge of a settlement were found to be suitable in the 2015 version. However, when it came to the 2017 version, they were then found to be unsuitable. Um, and an example is our client site, which is site reference 09GTDUN15. And I appreciate the council have commented that it was made on professional opinion uh, of the officers who've carried out site visits. But given the clear change from one assessment to another, there should be a robust justification or evidence that can explain the reason why those suitable sites were no longer unsuitable. We've also submitted representations throughout every part of 
of the uh, local plan consultation, which provided evidence, you know, reconfirming how the site was suitable. Has that been taken into account by the council and informed their assessment of the sites? And if so, you know, where can we see that information? But overall, I think there are clear small to medium sites that are available and could come forward and that the SLA should be reassessed to reconsider those sites that they've, they've changed their mind on previously. Thank you. I think we've probably covered those points already, haven't we? And, and again, some of these discussions maybe can take place outside of this examination where necessary to help with some of that information. Mr. Berend. Thank you, Mark. In spirit of, I suppose, flipping around, apologies, uh, uh, I will sort of go, go on to points around the sort of flexibility in, uh, in, in question eight, but I think it does relate to, to the wide, some wider issues as well. I think in terms of, of, of our approach and what we consider, we welcome planning for new communities. I think that is an important aspect of, of plans to go forward in terms of meeting need now and into the future. And I think going beyond plan periods is something that the MPP, uh, MP, new PPG focuses on, saying actually you should look at beyond, beyond the plan periods. There's, there's, there's nothing uh, untoward with that. But what I think we have here is we have a plan that's dated 2011 to 2033, but we're actually only planning for 13 years. Um, and within those 13 years, we're ignoring the early part of that plan period. Um, we spoke yesterday, and I don't want to rehash the, the, the issues that we discussed yesterday around the five-year land supply and the, and the lower levels delivery in that early part of that 13-year period. But that's where the, the issues of flexibility in, uh, uh, arise, and there is a, a lack of flexibility, a lack of delivery uh, or expected delivery within that period from what you'd expect to see the small and medium-sized sites and allocations come through that. And those small and medium allocations are, uh, are important to provide the certainty to delivery for that period to build up into the more strategic allocations that, that, that are made later on in that period. So I think part of the issue is that we're sort of saying, oh, that I think in question eight it says, oh, 75% of, uh, of sites being under 50 dwellings for the plan period as a whole. But actually a lot of those have, have happened. And I think this is what a lot of people are saying. A lot of it ha has happened. So... It can't be flexibility in terms of delivery of those small and medium sites if it's happened, but it's not going to happen. So you have no flexibility within that 13-year period of which it's going to be delivered. Now, those sites came forward not being delivered by this plan. They're identified in this plan, but not being delivered by this plan. They've run out of battery. So I think, it, I think it's... It's important to re recognise that in terms of that consideration. And I think very much going back to yesterday's discussion around five-year land supply and making sure there is that, but that very much relates to the flexibility of the delivery across the plant. In the end, we've got a total excess uh, of about 3%, I think, in delivery um, above the requirement. That's a very small uh, um, amount, especially for a what is a 13-year plan. Uh, so I think it, I think it is imperative that there, there are that allocations earlier in the plan, the smaller allocations provide that necessary flexibility to adapt to any rapid change, which is a clear uh, requirement of, of MPPF in, in paragraph 14, ma'am. Thank you. Mr. Koschke. Uh, yeah, good afternoon, Mark. Um, Steve Kosky from Turley for Wallace Land, um, Land Interests at Elsenham. 
Um, a lot of the points I wanted to make have been done. So, if I may, Ma'am, I would like to just touch on your questions two, six, and eight. Um, and I'll try not to reiterate too much of what's been heard already. I just try to keep it in context with what I'd like to say. Um, if, it, if it assists, Ma'am, I'd like to particularly draw your attention to the Council's matter statement four and the appendices therein, which I'll get to in a few minutes. Mm. Just a second, it's got buried under some. Uh... Oh, here it is, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The appendices, did you say? The appendices, yeah. So um, I think there's five of them. And I've just got a couple of points to make first before we get there. But it's all in context. I've tried to keep it all contextual. So looking around the room, I see a lot of people that I've been um, on the circuit with for many, many years. Been to lots and lots of... It's, it's the nature of the profession. It is, yeah. Been to lots and lots of uh, EIPs in Essex and Hertfordshire. And we do tend to hear the same stuff over and over again. Uh, and in particular at South Cambridgeshire, because North Stowe was referenced a lot. Um, and we know that with North Stowe, that was allocated and took 12 years to deliver a single home. So as an example, North Stowe is not perhaps the best example. I think my real concern with this plan is that it's sort of broadly split into three. And if you go to the Council's Table 3... Um, just after paragraph 8.2 of their evidence. So we're in the plan now? Sorry, in, in their matter 4 statement. In the matter 4 yeah. statement, right. So table 3 of their matter 4 statement, which follows paragraph 8.2. There's a, a yeah. useful little table there. So in the first column, it talks about the site size, um, below 10, 11 to 49, 52, um, which is all self-explanatory. And then it shows completions and committed sites as of 31st of March 2018. And you can see there that in terms of completions and commitments, that's relatively good performance. And I think that's reflected in the housing delivery test performance of this authority. So up until this point, there's, there's little really to, to criticise. But when you look at the allocated uh, column next door you can see that there's a complete paradigm shift. These allocations um, and completions and commitments have served the authority very well in terms of the housing delivery test and maybe for the next year or so. But in future years, i.e. going forward from 2017, everything shifts on its head and the spatial strategy becomes, I think, the most top-heavy spatial strategy I've ever come across. Um, and going back to the example of South Cambridgeshire, uh, in 2005, a lot of colleagues in this room were saying that if you rely upon Norstow uh, as a single new settlement, you will have problems. And 10 years later, South Cambridgeshire did and had to allocate Water Beach, West Camborne, uh, Bourne Airfield, all sorts of new stuff to counterbalance the fact that, that Norstow hadn't delivered. It's delivering now, um, but I think there's a salutary lesson to be learned. Um, so I think the real problem with this spatial strategy is there's a gaping hole running through the middle of it. Up until this point, past performance looks reasonably good. The latter years of the plan period, when the new communities are theoretically delivering, looks relatively good. But there's a huge void in the middle of four or five years. And that's demonstrated if we go to Appendix 4 of the Council's matter statement.
Now, Appendix 4 says it's a letter from Grosvenor in relation to delivery rates on Eastern Park, but I think they mean North Uttlesford. I think that's a mistake the Council's made there. Um, but the letter's from Bidwell's, um, January 2018. Could I, um, in the bullet points that are in that letter, could I take you down to the third paragraph when it talks about the sales outlets and the expectations? So it says here... Um, there'd be an assumed total of three sales outlets, each with an average sales rate of one dwelling per week. But, so that's 50 a year, but there is a caveat, there's a little footnote there, three. And footnote three says, once each outlet is operating at full capacity. And their trajectory assumes that the first will come online in 2023, the first outlet, reaching full capacity by 2025. So by the evidence of this letter upon which the council relies... The first outlet will not be delivering more than 50 dwellings sales a year until 2025. So one would assume that completions are going to correlate with sales. And then, as you read on, the second coming online by 2026, reaching full capacity by 27. The third outlet coming online by 2029, reaching full capacity in 2032, which is almost the end of the plan period. So just by a simple calculation, there's... Basically, 10 years where 50 dwellings will be sold, according to this evidence, seven years at 50, and four at 50, with three outlets, the, the, the latter outlet coming online quite late, which equates to 1,450 dwellings, not the 1,925 the council requires. Now, that's about two-thirds, and that's really interesting for me, because in my evidence, I talked about the Letwin Review, and the Letwin Review reviewed quite a few major sites. I think they looked at 15 very large sites across the country. Uh, and they determined that the average build-out was about 15 and a half years. So about 6.5% or... Um, yeah, 6.5% per year of, an, of a given allocation. So if we apply that methodology to the 2,000 units that are required at North Uttlesford... And I'm just taking that as an example. It's not specific to North Uttlesford, just as an example. So that, according to the council, that, that community needs to deliver all of that allocation within a 10-year period. So 10% of its allocation per year. Letwin says 65 Bidwells say 65% as well. So I'm convinced that a combination of the Letwin evidence and the Bidwells evidence in this letter which is already 18 months out of date, this new community, um, if we park for one moment the issues on minerals and we park the issues on um, heritage impact, etc., if we assume this will commence 2023-2024, it will deliver approximately two-thirds of the allocation the local authority anticipate. So then if we go to Appendix 3 which is a letter from Barton Wilmore in relation to delivery rates on Eastern Park. And we apply the same methodology. We can see that the same issues arise. Similar new garden community, similar allocation expected. Now, this letter is January 2018 as well. Again, 18 months out of date. Predates the letter in report. Um, what's important, I think, for this... Uh, for this context, is that Barton Wilmore are a planning consultancy, they're not a selling agent, Bidwells are a selling agent, so I think their advice 
uh, on the market um, absorption can be uh, relied upon more. Um, at 2.1 of the letter, it says the strength of the local housing market is one of the reasons why Eastern Park will deliver above and beyond expectations. And the expectations are the NLP report expectations of large-scale development delivery, which this letter refutes as we can circumvent those issues because we're different. So it says that Eastern Park is one of the strongest housing markets in the UK. Well, it doesn't actually exist. Um, and the reasons for saying that is that, well, the reason the letter says that is because it's, got, it's within commuting distance of both London and Cambridge, having Stansted Airport as a major employer close by. Well, Bishop Stortford does as well. That's a major established town in East Hertfordshire, much closer to Stansted. It's had a major allocation of 2,500 dwellings in the East Hearts plan, which is adopted. Um, Eastern Park will also... Um, the, the, the inference in the letter is that you can just turn on the taps. So, OK, we need to increase the absorption rate. Let's have more outlets. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. And the Letterman report is very clear because, firstly, there's lack of transport infrastructure to resolve. There's land remediation to resolve. This site has minerals issues. Airport, airport noise, I'm not aware that the, uh, that's been completely resolved. Um, doesn't have any rail links. And some of its competing sites, such as... Um, Bishop Stortford have access to rail stations. Um, and all around that area in the M11 corridor, you've got Gilston Park, you've got huge uh, allocations coming forward in Epping. They're all within a 15-minute isochron of the airport. So these will all be competing for sales, resources, minerals, labour supply. So I think it's slightly naive to assume that somehow Eastern Park is different it, however commendable it may be as a proposal, the reality is it will have to compete with all the other new settlements coming forward, including Norstow, further, further up the road across the boundary into South Cams. And the table that's provided at 2.2 of this letter showing the build-out rates of other areas, such as Camborne, well, that is all well and good, but the land values of all those settlements are considerably lower, and they didn't have the same competition as what Eastern Park will have. So, to conclude, I think what the real problem with this plan is, is that the new communities will deliver, uh, and they will deliver in line with the expectations of all the empirical evidence that's out there that we all know uh, what that says. But I think there's a period of maybe three or four years where the council will be highly exposed to the housing delivery test, highly exposed to speculative development in areas that probably are less desirable. And I think the resolution is to increase the amount of development allocated at the key villages. Um, we know what the key villages are. Um, we know that, that they should be the focus of growth. They have been hitherto, but um, as, as one of the um, commentators said this morning, we're looking forward, we're not looking back, um, relying on historic growth is, is not enough. Uh, we're nearly, by the time this plan is adopted, it'll be 2020. Um, we need to be moving forward. And when you look at a stepped trajectory, which a lot of authorities rely upon, that's all well and good. Deferring everything till later in the plan period on the expectation that your new communities or your major allocations will deliver. The problem is, and this, this affected South Cambridgeshire, if you are delayed by one year a lot of dwellings fall off the conveyor at the other end. If you're delayed by two years, it starts to become very difficult. If you've got the housing delivery test to meet at the front end of that trajectory, 
and you've got large dwelling numbers falling off the back of that trajectory at the end of the plan period because of delays to delivering the new communities. And it's really important to also note that the council are very clear uh, in their trajectory that the new communities will be delivering almost as soon as permission is granted. But I notice in policy, the council talks about uh, the need for potential CPO if there are issues in not delivering. Uh, they talk about land value capture. And these are issues that are, are not conducive to an early signing of Section 106 agreement. So I think when you go to, which is my final point, if you go to Appendix 5 with the DPD production timetable, there's an, there's an impression that by December 21, the applications that have been submitted in April 2020, which again, there's no evidence to that effect that any of those applications will be submitted by 2020. Sorry, whereabouts are we now? The table on the back? I'm on uh, Appendix 5 of the same matter statement. Yeah, so it's the tiny text. Yeah, so uh, by April oh, 2020, right, yes. um, the Council intends to be commencing work on the planning applications that have been submitted for all these new communities, um, notwithstanding that the plan may still be running at that time. This, this, this local plan may be unresolved by April 2020, but the local authority are going to be working on the outline planning applications by April of next year, and all the Section 1 and 6 heads of terms will be signed by December, almost immediately following the close of the production of the DPDs. Again, you know, with land value capture to consider, which we've not heard much about, and with CPO being waived as a veiled threat in, in the policy wording, that's not conducive to an early approval, an early operative permission. And then, of course, what this table doesn't include, it finishes with final phase reserve matters in March 22, but it doesn't talk about pre-commencement conditions, it doesn't talk about start of construction and enabling works, which can take 18 months before you can build a single dwelling. And, of course, the capacity issues that we've just discussed in relation to the Bidwell's evidence. So, in conclusion, I'm completely in agreement with Mr Dixon that this plan is essentially decoupled from its relatively productive historical past from 2011 to 2018, what may or may not be achieved in the new communities towards the end of the period, with a gaping hole in the middle where the council will be exposed to speculative development. Thank, Thank you. you. Do you want to come back on any of Some of that we've touched on yesterday. I don't know if it was you here Mr. yesterday, Mr. Kosky. No, okay. Yes, thank you. I can uh, respond to some of those points. Um, I'm going to work backwards, sort of, actually, though. Um, so yesterday um, we offered to provide an update to Appendix 5 of the, um, of the statement which, uh, which we will be doing by uh, the second week of the hearing, so not next week, the week after. Um, one detailed point on, on there, um, Mr Kosky noted that by April next year we... Uh, we may still be working on the local plan, and we may do, but at the moment we anticipate that uh, adoption of the local plan in April of next year. And that was the point I was making yesterday about um, work on the DPD having started um, and work running alongside the local plan, the local plan expecting to um, 
be adopted around the same time that the Regulation 19 DPD is published, and at that point, work on, on the local on the planning application uh, commencing. Uh, Mr. Koski's reference to Appendix 4. Uh, He's correct that uh, it shouldn't say uh, rates on Eastern Park, it should say North, North Hufflesford. That is a, a typo, I apologise for that. Typo, it's an error, I apologise for that. Um, but he, he um, extrapolated from uh, the second bullet point on, on there and, and the letter generally uh, a figure of, I think, 1,400 uh, within the plan period. But if you turn the page to the... the, the table with small text on there and you, you follow through the um, cumulative trajectory for uh, North Huddlesford you can see that in 2033 that letter suggests uh, 1,917 uh, if my eyesight's not failing me it's quite a tiny <laughs> writing that isn't it <laughs> uh, by 2033 Regarding the points about competing with other settlements, other new settlements, you mentioned uh, Gilston, Newtown, and uh, um, also Northstow and, and other sites like that. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're comparing development in Uttlesford competing with uh, sites at Northstow, then that's, that's quite a wide... Uh, any, any development in the district be compared with uh, no, that's not quite what I mean hang on a second what I mean is that um, Northstow is quite away from the district it is to the north of Cambridge um, I'm, I'm I question the, the comparison of, of uh, somewhere like Northstow with somewhere in, in the south of the district uh, such as Eastern Park or Western Braintree as, as whether they really are competing with each other um, that's the point I'm making there uh, I think those are the points I wanted to make thank you Mr Koski sorry just very briefly to come back I wasn't inferring that um, there was direct competition with Northstar I was using Northstar as a reference example on how not to rely upon a new settlement to deliver just because you say it will deliver. Um, the competition will come from Great Dunmo, it will come from Bishop Stortford, both getting very, very large urban extensions, very, very close proximity to Eastern Park. And uh, that was the point, Mark. Thank you. Clear, yes, yeah. Uh, Ms. Simmons. Hi. Um, I think a lot of the, the points that, have, that we were going to raise have been picked up already, but I think it's just, um, just like to sort of reiterate that um, small, this is in relation to question eight as well, that we think that more small and medium-sized sites um, should be allocated. Um, this will help Uttersford meet its housing needs. Um, they will provide uh, more choice to the market and can be delivered earlier in the plan period. Um, there are sustainable locations within key villages which um, can be delivered to meet this requirement um, in our um, statement we've, we've made reference to um, Newport itself, um, which we haven't seen any evidence that's been um, 
reviewed. So we just want to make that point. Thank you. Ms. Parrott. Thank you, Madam. Um, the comments I, I'm making will relate to question two, six, and eight. Um, in relation to question two, uh, whether the growth in villages is consistent with their position in the settlement hierarchy, um, our submissions relate specifically to Great Chesterford and the growth that's proposed there. Um, Great Chesterford is classed as a key village, um, which we agree is entirely appropriate in view of the services and facilities and sustainable transport connections it has. Despite this, uh, no new site allocations have been proposed for the 16-year period um, between 2017 and 2033, uh, which is shown in Table 5 of the local plan. And only sites with extant planning permission are included as allocations, um, delivering um, what we think is a fairly modest total of 82 homes for the entire 22-year period. Um, it's not actually justified or explained anywhere why no new allocations are proposed. Um, and whilst we recognise the points that have been made by Mr Gadd earlier, uh, that the, um, the plan is front-loading development in existing settlements, um, we would echo the points made by Mr Hollingworth, uh, that it's a considerable, well, 16 years is a considerable period for no growth to occur. Um, and we don't think this is a sustainable or positive approach, and it certainly doesn't reflect uh, the role of the village as a major focus for development in the rural areas. Um, so. In relation to question six, um, given the conversations that were had yesterday and some of the points made by Mr. Koski just now, um, it's quite clear there is concern about some of the assumptions, uh, sorry, concerns about the, um, whether the start date for the garden communities is realistic. Um, and I would say certainly there are some concerns about some of the assumptions around the length of time that have been assumed for the um, planning approval and planning preparation, uh, planning application preparation period. Um, Certainly, Appendix 5 of UDC's hearing statement for Matter 4 raises uh, some interesting questions on the assumptions that have been um, applied for the timescales. One of the things that alarms me slightly is uh, the adoption of the DPD is supposed to be September 2021. One assumes that the um, applications can't be submitted until that DPD has been adopted. Then we have formal decision on the outline application three months later in December 2021 with Section 106 heads of terms agreed. That's the absolute minimum time for an EIA application um, and I think is incredibly ambitious. Um, and then in relation to question eight, whether there should be more small and medium-sized sites, I think the comments can be quite brief. I think the only sensible strategy is to... Um, allocate more small and medium-sized sites in order to build in that flexibility and contingency. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not sure you need to address that unless there's anything in particular that you want to... Uh... Just two very small points. Yeah. Um, it's not 82 homes in, the, um, in Great Chesterford in the plan period. It's 137, I'd refer you to Table 1 of our matter statement. 
uh, and the other point about applications not being submitted, we, there's nothing to stop applications being submitted and, and we, as I explained earlier, we would expect and, and anticipate the applications to be submitted uh, and work to be done alongside the development plan document. The, the plan says um, they shouldn't be approved or uh, let me turn to that page. So they'll be submitted in consultation and things taking place and the sort of heads of terms and all those sorts of things worked up. Okay. Okay, it's straight at one o'clock, so it seems like a good time to uh, break for lunch. Um, I'm just thinking, does everybody need an hour? I'm not sure how far you have to go for a sandwich from here. Is it quite a trek or, yeah, is an hour an hour necessary really to get there and get back and eat without <laughs> that's fine so we'll break for an hour until two o'clock thank you